power. Superpower. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 17th episode of Slime Time SideQuest, an official Dragon's Den podcast. This is Platyam 3 And this is Yangus the Legendary Bandit. And uh, hold on, before we get started here, Platy, is it just me or did you sound different the last time we had one of these side quest episodes? Yeah, there was like a frog in my throat the whole time. Hmm, that's weird. So. You, you, you sounded really familiar, but at the same time, really different, too. Yeah, th- there was a lot of weird stuff going on. The moon was like in the seventh house of Mars or whatever. Yeah, not really into that astronomy stuff. Mm. You know, that seventh mm-hmm. moon thing, you got to watch out for that, man. Yeah, especially when it turns into a blood moon on a harvest night. Oh, man. Get a harvest moon. But I'm pumped. Yeah, you didn't see where I was going with that one. No, well, honestly, <laughs> when you said the blood moon thing, I was thinking, oh, maybe he's going to make a bloodborne joke, but no. <laughs> I like the way you went with it better, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so are we ready to do this, Yangus? Uh, well. What do you mean, Platy? I mean, you did the intro tonight, so, you know, we're doing this. Yeah, yeah, but um, you were kind of on the fence with a little bit. Did you finally come up with a game to talk about? Yeah, I'll wing it. Okay, but didn't you check out that list I sent for some ideas? I mean, yeah, no, I really didn't bother. You know, I'll just, I'll just swing it. I'll be fine. Well, I mean, let me just take a look. Quick look here. We'll, we'll see what we can do about some uh, Super Nintendo RPGs that you could talk about. Um. Ye- I, I think you played the uh, Twisted Tales of Spike McFang, right? Spike McWho now? Mm. Either of the Lufia games? Nope, not yet. Secret of Mana? Well, Penny's talking about that one, so I'm not going to take it from him. Yeah, buddy. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get to him. Yeah, I don't want to take that away. <laughs> I don't want to steal his thunder. How about Secret of Evermore? <laughs> no. <laughs> Secret of the Stars? Nope. Secret of the Snuffleupagus? Now you're just making stuff up. Come on, man. All right, all right. Let me get back to this uh, Super Nintendo definitive RPG list. Ah, Zelda, A Link to the Past. That's not even an RPG. What are you talking about? Oh, sorry about that. Oh, hey, Final Fantasy IV. I mean, we covered that in the very first SideQuest episode, which you, the audience, should go listen to right now if you haven't already. Um, We got Drippy here tonight, so we could do Earthbound? No, 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 no. We'll cover that in a future episode. Well, damn it, Yangus. I don't know what else to suggest. <sighs> look, no wor- it, look, no, no worries, Platy. I'll just wing it and probably wing it long enough that you have to tell uh, me to shut up in the chat. You know, like how, how it always oh, happens. Come on, I would never. Yeah, you would never do that, right? Never. Well, helping me wing it tonight, we've brought back a trio of former guests. Please welcome back Barurian. What's shaking? Drippy Slime Star. Hey, how are you? And Pendy. Hello. All right, we'll get uh, get to our normal format of uh, we're all going to have a game or two to talk about. Um, and just kind of go through some of our favorite Super Nintendo RPGs tonight. Uh, as you hear, we've uh, we actually had a little bit of a hard time picking some of these because some of the more popular ones we've already covered once or twice. Um, so we didn't want to recover some of the same old ground. And we do have some other ideas in mind, like having a, a whole mother episode. So we don't want to go into Earthbound tonight. So... We'll cover some of our favorite ones tonight, and if there's some that you like better, they might be in a former episode, and if there's other ones you like better, they might be in an upcoming episode, so we'll just take it like it is. And uh, Pendy, since uh, you have the most uh, luxurious notes, can I put it that way? <laughs> Luxuri- <laughs> well, you don't like my little book? <laughs> At least the ones that I'm privy to, because I-, I know, Drippy, you- you've got your... Uh, You've got your reams of notes yourself. I got my old-fashioned notes. I I was going to say, he actually, like, wrote something out. He 
like used his whole hand and not just like fingertips. Yeah. But uh, Pendy, we'll, we'll start with you tonight. Go ahead and uh, pick one of the games that you'd like to talk about. Okay, so I'm going to start with Chrono Trigger, one of my favorite games of all time. So Chrono Trigger came out for the Super Nintendo in Japan way back in 1995 and in North America in August of 1995. Um, <clears throat> this was for the, the super, like I said, for the Super Nintendo or the SNES, as I guess Yangus likes to call it sometimes. <laughs> God no, please. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, there was there's been a jump subsequent... between all three. Give me a break. Doesn't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> discriminate. Uh, but anyways, uh, subsequent ports and remasters were brought to the PlayStation One, the DS, mobile, various mobile platforms, and uh, Windows. More recently, I've only ever played the. The Super Nintendo and the DS versions so far. Um, have you guys played the? I heard there was like a an issue with like the mobile version at some point uh, that they had to, that they had to fix. Anyone aware aware of that? I, I know the Steam version was having a lot of problems, but they eventually patched it and stuff like that to make it much more I don't know tolerable or better. Um, yeah, but I think this, the, the Steam, I think that was yeah. based off the mobile as well. Um, Oh no! Yeah, the, the Steam version was a straight mobile port, and that's why it was having having issues initially. They did that great patch for it. That kind of fixed oh, okay. it up. So just buggy. I got it. Cool, cool. Um, but yeah, it's by far one of my favorite games for the Super Nintendo. I love everything about this game: the characters, the settings, the time travel elements, the multiple ending, the multiple endings. It's fan fucking tastic. Um, it's often on or near the top of people's best RPGs of all time and for good reason. In my opinion, the battles are so much fun. All the enemies are on screen, which was rare for Super Nintendo RPGs back in that back in that time, and you seamlessly transition from exploring to fighting. The endless inventive ways monsters will appear or will be seen hanging about is a lot of fun. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I'm sure some of the encounters that they put in Dragon Quest XI were probably influenced by the way they were uh, done in Chrono Trigger, the way that enemies will pop out or be hanging around in that game as well. Mm. Uh, magic and special physical attacks are called techs in this game, and some special attacks will hit a certain area or kind of spread through a line across the screen in a certain direction, but the enemies will constantly move around, so getting them lined up just right adds strategy to what you can unleash. And there are certain techs that are joint techs between certain characters. So you can do a double uh, double attack with two characters, or there's even techs that use all three characters that you're using at the time all at once, which is a lot of fun. And it's it's great. So the game uses a traditional like Final Fantasy-type active time battle system, but it does have, have an optional wait mode that you can choose instead, which is what I usually do because I'm a, a big wimp. I like to have my, my games a little bit more turn-based than active that, that's that's just me. I've always done that with the Final Fantasy games. You, and you don't Trigger. want the boss ripping through you when you're trying to go through a menu. No, it's like I'm trying to I'm trying to find the potion, and then like I'm, and then he's like just attacking me, attacking me. I'm slow. Give me some time. <laughs> oh, I, I completely get that. <clears throat> but uh, this game has also has some of my favorite RPG characters, uh, or just characters in general, uh, whether it be the swashbuckling frog, the robot from the future, simply named Robo or the anti-hero Magus. Uh, their personalities and antics are always enjoyable to watch as well. Their character designs are great too. And speaking of that, you know, guess who is the character designer in this game? In this game? Why, it's none other than Akira Toriyama of Dragon Ball fame. 
I think he's also yeah I know I think he's also the character designer for some other small series I think Dragon Warrior maybe Dragon Quest I guess what it's called or something I think I think you mean Blue Dragon it's got to be Blue Dragon oh yeah yeah that's that's right that's right that was it there was a dragon in there somewhere (laughs) the dragon was inside you (laughs) (laughs) but that is part of why this game is so great. The greatest minds of Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest came together to make this game. Not only do you have Toriyama, who did all the character designs, uh, mech designs, even designed like how all the different eras looked, backgrounds and such, but you also have Yuji Horii and Final Fantasy creator uh, Hironobu Sagaguchi. And after I've said that name, I do want to put a disclaimer for the rest of this podcast that I will probably slaughter a bunch of names. <laughs> <laughs> so just be warned. I may, may be some cringy, cringy uh, pronunciations. <laughs> but the the three, and I didn't know this before I did the research. The three of them were actually inspired to make this game after a trip to the good old USA back in 1992 when they were researching computer graphics. So I thought that was really cool. Huh. I, d- I had no idea. I didn't, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Uh, the wonderful soundtrack was mostly composed by Yasunori Mitsuda with some contributions by famed Final Fantasy composer Nobuo Uematsu. Uh, This game has 12 different endings you can enjoy. Once you beat the game once, you can go into New Game Plus mode. This game is not designed just to be be beat once. Everything carries over into New Game Plus, and the endings vary depending on how and when you beat the final boss in the timeline that they set up. There's even a bonus ending where you get to meet the creators of the game. So you get to go see Yuji Hori and Akira Toriyama and say, what's up, dude? You can meet him in the game. It's great. How cool is that? What? Do this they have one little of my sprites? Favorite... Yeah, they have little sprites. Yeah, they... it's, am- it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's, 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 called, it's called the dream team ending for the game. Yeah, it's supposed oh to be God. the most difficult now one to do. do. And now I want to do a perler bead of Yuji Hori. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah, just go look up a sprite sheet. You'll find them. Uh, I'll be doing that right now. There you go. But this is one of my favorite Super Nintendo games, and I highly recommend it to any RPG fan. What do you guys uh, think of this game, for those who have played it? So I am a big-time Yasunori Mitsuda fan, so I absolutely love the work he did on this game. Such a great composer. And and a fun little fact is that, um, who was it, Uematsu kind of helped out with a couple of tracks, I think it was because uh, Mitsuda had gotten sick at the time, so uh, Uematsu stepped in to help him out. Yeah, I heard he that only, story too. He he's only he only did like two or three of the songs on the Chrono Trigger soundtrack. Um, I love the music for it so much. I own just about every soundtrack for those games. I even have that orchestral soundtrack Square Enix put out a couple of years ago that, uh, that has like three CDs and stuff. Anyways, if there's a version of this game, I have played it, and I have played it multiple times. I even sat through uh, the PS1 version, which is probably the worst of the bunch, if yeah, not just for the load times. On that's what I heard. It's it's really strange because Final Fantasy IV had no issues with loading, but for some reason, Chrono Trigger, whenever you got into a random battle, you'd get hit with an anywhere from like ten to twenty second load time for the battle, and Final boss was awful, especially when he started doing time phase shifts during the battle, because you would get stuck in a loading screen every time he would change to a different time. Oh. <laughs> it was not great. But, yeah. you know, the addition of all of the cutscenes, the the mm. extra content that they stuck in there, you know, that eventually came to the DS version. Mm. 
was enough to make me look around it. Yeah, the DS version was a, a, a lot of fun. I liked how they added all that to it, and they didn't have any of the issues that the PS1 uh, version had. And they retranslated the entire script. I know that's mm. divisive for some people. Some people like the old, uh, what's his name, Ted Woolsey translation. Oh, he did that one? But, that yeah, makes he sense. That he was doing yeah. a lot of them back then. Yeah, so he did the original translation, and then when it came to the DS in 2007 or so, they, they did a full retranslation for it. Yeah, it's, I didn't put it in my notes. I wasn't going to talk about it, but since you brought it up, he also did uh, Secret of Mana, and they rushed it so much, supposedly, to get it out for the holiday season, I guess. And he did it within, like, two weeks. He said it was oh, horrible. Wow. He had to cut out. He had to cut out a bunch of dialogue, and it was awful. <laughs> That's, wow, so, so, I had so no I'm wondering idea on if, that. I'm wondering if they retranslated it for the Switch compilation. I'd have to look that up. That is an intri- that's that's a good point. Like like the PS4 Switch remake or, or that they did. No, not the not the full blown not the full blown remake, but the uh, just the compilation of the straight ports of the the first oh, three. I see. Uh, Seiken and Setsu games. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. That's that would be something to look into for sure. Oh yeah. So I actually played the DS version um, after giving the PS1 version a try way back when on the Vita. And I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the game. I kind of had an up and down relationship with it. Started pretty great, got a little boring. And um, I did get to the final boss, but I didn't want to do the side quest to try to level up and stuff like that. So I actually left off at the final boss. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I I feel like I wasn't fighting enough. Maybe I was a little bit underleveled and stuff, but it didn't really stick to me. I mean, I definitely appreciated what it does, and I've considered going back to it, but I sold my DS copy, and I think I bought that for, like, 50 bucks to begin with, so I'm really not ready to go back and try it again. Maybe the Steam version. Um, I got a code for that during the uh, Square Enix bundle last year. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah, but, I mean, I can definitely appreciate it, but uh, I think the battles were definitely my favorite part. I also had it um, where it where it pauses when you choose, you know, an item and stuff like that. Because yeah, yeah I don't need to be I don't need to be that anxious while I'm playing an RPG. Um, <laughs> you know, so yeah, I, I enjoyed what I played of it. I just couldn't bring myself to finish it. Yeah, the battles are very dynamic. That's one of the better parts about the game. So I did play this. I played this back in the early two thousands. Um, never played it when it came out and. I think, I want to say I just emulated the Super Nintendo version at the time. I think this was before I had my uh, lovely DS um, card that I could just emulate on the DS. And I don't know. To me, it was just another game. It it didn't stick out. Like, I hear people talk about it now, and I'm like, oh, I mean, this is, and I think it was even before I joined the den, so I didn't even, or no, 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 it would have been afterwards. So I don't know, maybe it just wasn't discussed much on the den, but I feel like I hear about it way more now than I did back then. Um, But then again, I wasn't anywhere but the den back in 2003, 2004. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it it, it was okay, but like I, I was just enamored with the PS2 by then and everything else and i was like nah going back to this was all right oh admittedly I, like people in my age group there is so much like nostalgic hype about it all the time yep. so i understand mm-hmm. that for sure oh yeah i, I, I did I'm like sorry, uh when did you say you tried to play this like mid 2000s yeah 2003 4 5 yeah so that was a that was a couple of years after the playstation 1 version came out so i guess it was kind of an influx of new players who 
either didn't have the Super Nintendo or couldn't get a copy because even by that point, a copy of Chrono Trigger was like higher than average on used and used games back then used to be really, really low compared you know compared to now oh yeah so i did really like the character ayla oh she's a lot of fun yeah and it was because and i like right away i was like wait a minute this is a blonde cave girl and her name's ayla this is ripped right out of um a series of books that i was listening to at the time there was a series of books called um earth children and this lady Jean owl a-U-E-L wrote it, and I mean, at the time, I was just trying to find anything really long to listen to, books on tape at the library, and I was like, oh, wow, look, there's like six books, and each of them have like 30 cassettes apiece, <laughs> so... I was like, this will get me through the summer of just sitting at home playing video games and listening to stuff. So, uh, I mean, it's probably not the most uh, wide-read series, but it was kind of popular back in the 90s. Um, and 80s she wrote it for a long time and it got kind of worldwide published because um, she'd done so much research on actual cave people and hmm. everything and yeah I was, I was even looking right now at the chronopedia wikipedia site and right in there right it's listed on her page as she's probably an allusion to ayla in that because it's a tall hmm. light blonde haired blue-eyed prehistoric girl nice that's kind of cool and what's fun about this game is that, like, I didn't know going in, going into it that it was, like, you know, the Dragon Quest and the Final Fantasy people getting together on it. I had no idea. I didn't find that out until, like, way afterwards. And I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. It's just, yeah. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that either. Yeah, this, um, with this game, I heard about it before I played it. Uh, when I was in, I think it must, it must have been, like, late elementary, early junior high. Uh, the DS version came out in, I believe, 2008, if I remember right. And I got that one for Christmas that year. And I did enjoy the game a lot. And I think what it was for me is that I burned myself up by doing all the replays and getting all the different endings. Mm. Because the DS version will let you track, like, what ending you, endings you've gotten, depending on, you know, when you beat the game and when you uh, beat Lavos. But, um... Right. I mean, I still really do like a lot of things about Chrono Trigger, and if I replayed it now, I probably would really enjoy it again. But it was one of those things where I, I think I just replayed it a bit too much that I kind of got burnt out on it. And I personally enjoyed Chrono Trigger, or excuse me, I enjoyed Chrono Cross just a little bit more when I played that the first time that I did Chrono Trigger. But I still That's think Chrono Trigger. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I just like Quincy. I'm right there with you. <laughs> but I still think that Chrono Trigger is a really well-made game because I do, I do think it had some really good characters, some great music and environments that you went to. Like there, there is a lot of really great stuff to this game. I think, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one of the scenario writers for the game was Maso Kato of yes. famed Final Fantasy Tactics. Yes, so. it, it, he was involved. It, they, in fact, in the, the article that I read about it, um, it said that Kato and Yuji Hori would uh, take long meetings uh, with each other to kind of hash out the story as they went. Oh, and also, you know, the 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 added extra ending for the DS version that connects Chrono Cross to Chrono Trigger. That's right. Which yeah, was not in right. any previous version. And, and what's funny is that I, I just remembered this Kato was kind of, he didn't want to do the time travel thing at first. He was against the idea, and then, but they convinced him to go with it, and it, you know, became what it is now. That's interesting. I will say that I did like, even though I hadn't played Chrono Cross at the time, 
I did enjoy <clears throat> that new bonus boss that they added into the DS one because that was a cool discovery to find where, you know, you beat the game and if you do new game plus, you the old man at the end of time is like, hey, listen, there's this weird, you know, energy coming off from this point of, you know, the space time continuum. You might want to go check it out, but I also have a really bad feeling about it. And it was like, oh, cool. I wonder if it's, you know, something new content wise. And sure enough, it was. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I will say that the one thing I don't like about the DS remake is those uh, new dungeons that open up. Um, I forget what they're called. They're the ones that are open up via those green portals that show up after uh, the, yeah. um, the black. Oh, what's that? Oh. The black omen rises into the yeah. sky. I can take I can. I honestly, I can take those or leave those. My biggest complaint was how much you had to run back and forth between them. I did them once when I played the game, and I never did them again because I just hated going through them. But I liked the new the the other dungeons that open up once you've you know beaten the game that open up from those like black and purple portals. Those are right. Fun. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, so I'm the I'm the opposite on uh, Chrono Cross. I won't get into it too much because it's the Super Nintendo episode. But <laughs> I just couldn't I couldn't I couldn't stand the game. I never finished it. I got. Um, and I wasn't like, oh my god, they didn't use Dragon Quest guy mad. No, I was, I just, you know, I played it with open mind, and I just got bored. Like I got like maybe halfway through the game, and I was like, I'm done with this. I can't do it anymore. I'm just too bored. I just, it just wasn't, wasn't my thing. Yeah. But yeah, I was, I still was disappointed um, that they decided to go Chrono Cross instead of like Chrono Trigger Two, and bring back Yuji Horii and be like, hey, let's do another compilation of our, let's, you know, our powers combined. And they decided to kind of off with uh, another direction so i was like okay whatever you know i almost think that's why we haven't ever seen another chrono game for such a long time other than like these you know port slash remakes of chrono trigger i think that maybe they just don't want to try and you know mess with you know what works so well about the original mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i mean it'd be cool if they did don't get me wrong but I, it almost seems like it's more of an out of respect thing that they don't try and do something else with it you know what i mean yeah it was one of those lightning in a bottle situations just like with uh, Super Mario RPG, RPG, which I know someone's going to go over later, where it's just like a perfect combination at the right time of the right people and just made for such a great game. Mm -hmm. All right. Speaking of a perfect combination, how about my twinsy? <laughs> Why don't you go number two? Well, I don't need to go to the bathroom right now, Platty, but... Well, you know... That's a terrible joke. I apologize. <laughs> I heard it when I said it. I heard it when I said it. I was like, "Oh boy!" <laughs> I I had to I had to go with the joke just because you said that. Okay, you had to go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You gotta go. You gotta go. <laughs> gotta go. Gotta go. Gotta go. Gotta go right now. All right. Um. So for the game that I decided to wing it with, I ended up going with Dragon Quest Three via its Super Famicom remake. Uh, this was one that released, I believed, in either 1994 or 1995, if I remember right. And this remake was based on the engine that they used for Dragon Quest VI. So if you play the Super Famicom version, or the original version, I guess, of Dragon Quest VI, and you then play this remake of Dragon Quest III, you'll see some similarities with how characters move and the environments and things like that. Uh, anyway, uh, this remake... Uh, Obviously, it's a remake of Dragon Quest III, which originally came out on the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System slash Famicom in the late 80s. 
you know, it was a real big hit in Japan. Don't know how it did over here, but, you know, it's still one of the most well-regarded games in the series, no matter where you are. Uh, and this remake added in quite a lot of new things to Dragon Quest III. So some of the new features included the Thief class, uh, the introduction of Pachisi slash TNT boards, uh, monster animations, which I believe originally originally were first in Dragon Quest VI, but this remake added them into Dragon Quest III. Uh, there is the personality system that affects the growth of your character stats, be it their HP, their strength, and what have you. Uh, there are brand new cutscenes, such as the opening uh, prologue cutscene that'll show the adventures of Ortega before uh, his uh, big showdown at the volcano that's near Barmos's castle. Okay. Uh, there is a new and very difficult post game with bo- with a bonus boss that seems like a big old shout out to Dragon Ball Z. And there are now mini medals you can find all around the world. Uh, so because, or excuse me, uh, this version of Dragon Quest Three became the basis for future versions of Dragon Quest Three. Although current iterations of the game, such as on mobile and Switch. Uh, lack some of the new features that were introduced in the Super Nintendo version, such as like the monster animations and the Pachisi tracks. Uh, The remake also has a very good fan translation that's available online. Uh, This is the version that I played a lot of in college, uh, specifically this fan translation of Dragon Quest III. And it's my personal favorite way to experience Dragon Quest III because I feel like it really does a great job showcasing the world and the music and all of the different elements that make Dragon Quest III, you know, such a memorable game. Uh, It's also like the one game that I actually own a reproduction card of. Normally, I don't buy cards like that or do a lot of like emulation or anything like that. But since I enjoyed this uh, fan translation of Dragon Quest III so much uh, from the Super Nintendo version, I was able to get a copy that, even though it unfortunately has a bit of a glitch when you open up menus to try and read item descriptions, it's a good thing I at least know how to play the game and know what stuff does, so I don't really need that too badly. But, <laughs> but um... yep, my reproduction cartridge has the same exact issue. <laughs> But if you are either new to Dragon Quest or if you have, you know, played all the games, but you're just looking for a new way to experience Dragon Quest 3. And if, if you've played, say, the current Switch version or the new or the mobile version that's out right now, uh, I would recommend that you give this fan translation a try because it's it has a re- lot of really cool features and some really nice details. And I think that this is one of like this is how, in my opinion, you remake a game. You know, you take what works so well about the original, you give it a really nice graphical and musical overhaul. And I just think that this remake is, you know, one of the best efforts for a Dragon Quest remake that we've ever seen, just in my opinion. I have agree. you guys played this version of the game at all? I also I have a reproduction haven't. cartridge. You guys bought it from the same person. Probably. <laughs> same glitch. Maybe. That's all right, because I'm looking for reproduction copies right now, because I had played it um, with the fan translation uh, on my PC. I got, I didn't get too, too far into it, um, just because I didn't feel like playing a really long RPG sitting in my computer chair um but yeah i mean i like you said i that's the way you do a remake i think it's you know just the graphics alone um three is my favorite so i kind of always give i kind of always pump that one up in my brain anyways anything three is good um but i mean it looks good it plays good and um yeah i I enjoyed my time with with that specific version that i played of it yeah and six was one of the best looking super nintendo games that was ever put out for it well i guess super famicom and using that same graphic graphical engine like oh man three just looked fantastic like the ending is blows you away for for its time mm-hmm. and just the whole game just looks beautiful and the monster animations are fantastic like that was the start of when they started doing monster well six 
you know, that era was yeah. that start of the monster animations. And yeah, that's why so many people, so many people are so disappointed in when they did the mobile remake because it, it took, it didn't have a lot of that. Like, cause even, even the uh, Game Boy Color version, even though it was graphically inferior, still had like monster animations and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. the, even even that version did it. But then when they went to mobile, they lost the monster animations, like you said. They lost one of the um, bonus dungeons that they added to the GBC version. Um, the Pachisi tracks, Pachisi tracks were gone. Yep. So. Those, yeah. So the reason why that <clears throat> is too, and I think I just said this to Drippy not that long ago. Uh, the reason why the Switch slash current mobile version is like that is because it, Dragon Quest One and Two, and Dragon Quest Three, they're all based on mobile versions that released in Japan in like yes. the mid to early two thousands. That is correct. So that's why a lot of that stuff is unfortunately missing because they were just like, oh, let's just take the info and data and all that that from uh, the this version of the game, and we'll just you know bring it over to current stuff and. Yeah, it unfortunately it, shows because you are missing quite a bit of content, and I'm really surprised that Yuji Horio yeah. was okay with that. Yeah, because they did one, two, and three from scratch to to make those mobile versions, whereas like four, five, and six were more ports with a couple of editions of the DS remakes. So yeah, yep. But um, what was I going to say? Uh, you talking about like what they were able to do with the graphics, Pendy? Like one of my favorite cutscenes that they you know tweaked and revamped in the Super Nintendo version uh, is. After you've uh, defeated Baramos and you return back to Alehan and you go to the king and talk to him, it's like, oh, you've saved, you know, you saved the world from the from the evil darkness. We The world is saved. All right. Well, then you see all the trumpeters start playing the Dragon Quest Overture. Then you see these really cool lightning effects, you know, strike down every single one of those trumpet players and the guards that are in the throne room. And you get that really cool overhead shot of this, like, foggy apparition version of Zoma looking down at the party and talking to you like, I am Baramos' master. You have to come and defeat me now, otherwise I'll take over the world. Like, and what, I really, what? really disappoints me with the Switch slash mobile version that even though they have, like, the guard, the, like, the guards just, like, randomly disappear and you just have the screen go black while Zoma talks to you. You lose so many of the cool effects that were in the Super Nintendo version, and it ruins that scene, in my opinion, because it was so cool. It was so oh, cool. Yeah, and, and, and just as an aside, like, why do, you, why do you have to pick on the band geeks? I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if we're uh, done with that, we'll move right along. Drippy, you want to do one of yours? Yeah, I can do a short one, uh, just because, I mean, um, you know, I haven't really played a lot of uh, Super Nintendo games, but uh, when I do, I try to make sure they're an RPG. So my first one is uh, Act Razor. So it was released by Enix in uh, 1990 in Japan, uh, 91 in the U.S., and 93 in Europe. And it has a like a Greek mythology setting, and it's a really interesting game because it's a 2D uh, platformer, hack and slash kind of thing, um, as well as a town building light um, kind of uh, RTS thing. Um, so the first phase, um, there's only, I think there's six worlds, and I got to the fourth or fifth. Um, and the, so the first, the first phase, um, well, I guess there's three phases. You start in um, in uh, 2D, and you you know you do a basic platforming level. There's usually a boss at the end, and then you go into this town building part, and you kind of you control an angel kind of thing, and it, it feels kind of clunky to me. Um, the hitbox boxes are 
really narrow, um, you know, and you're trying to basically control this angel around this field, shooting demons, and then building roads um, to to make the townspeople um, seal up the portals that these demons are coming from. So I think it's kind of shallow because there's not much to it. Um, it's not like a SimCity or a City Skylines where you customize it and the way you customize it really affects what happens. It's basically uh, get the people from the middle of the town up to the portals and get on with your life. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed the 2D a lot more um, than, than the... Um, the RTS, I guess you could say. Um, it's an overall fun game. I would definitely play it again um, if it was on the uh, SNES app. But uh, yeah, I think it's a really interesting game, um, especially, you know, um, for the Super Nintendo. They made a, made a sequel that I guess is a lot more platformer heavy. And I know a couple years ago, I think it was Sega maybe that tried to make kind of a spiritual successor. And I guess it was just god awful. So. A uh, really unique formula that you don't see a lot in games, but I really enjoyed what I played of it. I absolutely love this game, Axe Razor. It's so good. This is That's one of good those to games. Hear. Yeah, because I, I, I really hadn't heard much of it. I mean, I had always heard the name, but then when I actually looked into what it was, I was like, oh, that's really cool. I bought a physical cartridge, and uh, yeah, it, it was fun. Yeah. Um, this was one of those ones that I believe it was in college. I went to a, a, a local game store that was in the town that I lived at uh, when I was in uh, college. And they had I was looking for some Super Nintendo slash PS1 games at the time. And they ended up having this game Actraiser on the shelf. And I'm like, well, you know, you know, I'll give this one a try. I've heard about this one every now and then. And I ended up getting that copy from that store that they had. It was in good condition. And I ended up playing it for, I think it was over that summer, like right after I got it. And it was, <laughs> it's a very different experience of a game. But honestly, I think that's what makes it so cool. Because, like, I really enjoyed the overhead view of, like, you watching over the people as this godlike figure helping protect their town and helping them, you know, listening to their problems and, you know, helping, you know, you, the little angel guy shoots off the demons. They eventually like the people figure out that, Oh, you know, we need to, you know, rely on ourselves instead of relying on this, you know, this God of the world that we yeah, because you to. can kind of use, Oh, I don't, I think they call them miracles where like, if you need to clear out uh, trees to make it so the path can continue, you like call down like, you know, fire and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, th that was a really cool uh, thing as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this was one that uh, I really, I, I found the, the side-scrolling parts a little bit weird to control at first, but, you know, you get used to it after those first few stages of it. The last part of the of the side-scrolling stuff where you have to do, like, the gauntlet against all the, the bosses from the game, that part was actually really difficult because you have to fight them, like, one after another, and then you have to fight the final boss right after that. And I don't remember if there's save points in between or not. <laughs> but, I'm sure um, there wasn't, yeah. Um, I think the last boss I fought was on a ship or something like that. Um, yeah, but the bosses were interesting. The magic was, was pretty cool as well. I remember there was kind of like a... It was kind of like a fire spell kind of shot, um, you know, on a path and stuff like that. And then you could call down like a, basically a screen clearing magic. Um, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. It, it's a little tough when you're first starting out. You don't really know how far your jump is going to go. You're not really sure how wide your swing of your sword is. Uh, but the character moves really well and, and the levels are fun to progress through. Yeah, I, that that is true. Like, I do remember the screen clearing. It's been a few years since I've played it, but I remember always loving to use that screen clearing nuke spell. That was just so yep. much fun to watch that, especially 
you know, this was early uh, Super Nintendo, I believe. I, th- I think it was either 1991 or 1992. I can't remember the exact year. Mm-hmm. But I remember that being really impressed with just how you know good, how graphically the game looked. Yeah. And one of the things that I particularly like about this game, because it just happens to have one of my favorite composers, is uh, Yuzo Koshiro. He wrote the soundtrack for this game. Soundtrack's really good. I really enjoy it, especially the the song when you're going into a portal and it kind of builds up. You know, like you're getting hyped up to go into this portal. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna kill some demons and stuff like that. Yeah, I enjoy yeah. the music as well. Yeah, there's some really great tracks from this game. And if you uh, do enjoy this game soundtrack, then I would really recommend checking out the Symphonic Suite soundtrack of the game that's up on YouTube. I well, I, last I checked, it was still on YouTube. <laughs> There's unfortunately, yeah. ha- like, Yuzo Koshiro usually re-releases his stuff. Like, on if you look on iTunes now, there's actually quite a few of his video game soundtracks on there that are available to uh, purchase. But for some, including uh, the Super Nintendo version of ActRaiser's soundtrack, and actually the arcade version of ActRaiser's soundtrack as well. But for some reason, he's this um, symphonic version of the soundtrack has never gotten a re-release, which is such a shame because it has some really great renditions. And we had this discussion on a Slime Time episode episode that is yet to show up or yet to be posted but we were discussing like who would be a good composer to possibly take over for a uh, Sugiyama when the time comes for it and I specifically uh, said uh, Yuzo Koshiro specifically because of this uh, game soundtrack and how the symphonic version of it turned out because uh, Koshiro did the symphonic compositions himself like he transferred you know it from the super nintendo sound chip was able to create the full score for the orchestra that you know played this uh, symphonic suite of the game soundtrack so like i like he was it turned out damn good damn good <laughs> yeah it looks like there's a playlist up um of the symphonic suite there's only 10 songs so it looks like it's actually a pretty limited soundtrack but i mean from what I heard, it was good, and there's actually a video of somebody playing it on vinyl, uh, so I guess they released a vinyl version of the OST, yeah. which is really cool to see. Yeah, it's it's one of those soundtracks where they like take two of the songs from like different points of the game, and they'll put it into one track, so that's why it's kind of shorter track-wise, but for what music is, is in the game, it's one of those things that I think is one of the strengths of Koshiro as a composer as well. He doesn't like overly write music like he doesn't make like just like you know 50 60 songs for a game like he'll create a handful of like 20 to 30 songs that really work throughout the entire experience and so that's why i think is one of his strengths as a composer but i could talk about him all day so <laughs> i'll let, i'll move on from that <laughs> and wasn't this uh wasn't this an enix game yes uh yes and uh, it, actually it was, hold on because uh, i think it was an enix game and i'm guessing probably yeah, Nintendo yeah, so, published. Yeah, it, enix um yeah released it in japan in 1990 uh in the u.s in 91 so yeah enix i think i'm guessing nintendo must have published this one in north america because i'm guessing Enix kind of packed up and had moved on by that point. Yeah, moved on the square. Let me, I'm so no, you know, Enix had they published the game over here. Oh, they did. Oh, yeah, yeah my copy. Enix, Enix developed by Quintet. Uh, Quintet, I know, had um, quite a few Super Nintendo. They talk about Quintet um, games. One, uh, there's a YouTuber mm-hmm. I watch. Yeah, uh, Super Quintet Harris. was the developer in Japan. Oh, it must have been before they before Enix uh, quit quit America for a while. Okay, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, no, Enix Enix quit America around Dragon Dragon Warrior Seven, I believe, which was yeah, they late, were late, late in the nineties. No, 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 yeah. the first the first time because they they oh. went away twice. Oh, gotcha. I didn't know that. 
I didn't know that either. That's why we didn't get Dragon Quest Five and Dragon Quest Six. Well, Dragon Quest anything, oh, I because see. Enix of America they folded and they decided to give up. So any, so most of the Super Nintendo games that were Enix properties were, were published by somebody else because they just didn't did not exist. That's why we had that dark age in the Super Nintendo era of just no oh. Dragon Quest games. So that's oh, why I did I was, not know that's, about that. That's what I was curious about. Okay. Dark times, dark times for for Super Nintendo owners back then. I I remember <laughs> I bought a Super Nintendo thinking like, oh, more Dragon Quest or Dragon Warrior games because I'd you know I'd bought in three and four and played two and one and then just nothing. They even had like a Nintendo Power preview for Dragon for Dragon Quest Five uh, before Enix decided like, nope, well, we're pulling chocks, we're out of here. Sorry, bye. So that that sucked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the developer is Quintet, and uh, some of their other games, Actraiser was their first. It went on to make Soul Blazer, Actraiser 2, Illusion of Gaia, Robotrek, and Terranigma. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I said, there was there's a YouTuber I watched, Super Derek RPGs, and he goes into, you know, the Quintet games that were really, you know, a lot of people talk about them when they talk about Super Nintendo games. Um, you know, especially Actraiser and whatnot. So they seem to be a pretty good, pretty good developer. Um, but yeah, it looks like Enix... Uh, published all of those. Mm. Yeah, I always heard Quintet was a good publisher, but they didn't do too many games. But I'm completely drawing a blank on whatever else they did. Um, yeah, Quintet they was in 2004. Uh, Solo Crisis, Code R, Planet Lakia, Brightest. Oh, Shenmue. Actually, do you know about Shenmue. Do you know about Terra Enigma, the Brewerian? Yep. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they they don't create that yep. in the oh, other part oh. games of that trilogy. Did they not do Illusion of Gaia? Uh, they did, yep. They did Illusion of Gaia in 93, then Terranigma, um, and then, yeah, Soul Blazer. So, yeah, that trilogy, well, trilogy, I guess, in quotes, I guess a lot of people uh, say it's kind of an unofficial trilogy, right? Or I, I've, heard that, really sure. I've heard that term being tossed mm-hmm. around, too, like an unofficial yep. trilogy. Yep. Nice. Yeah, before I got booted there, what I was going to say is that Terranigma is part of that unofficial trilogy you guys were just mentioning as I joined back in. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yes, they're, they're, they did have quite a few uh, Super Nintendo games, and they're pretty good RPGs, too, especially if you like more action RPGs. Oh, I love All the right. version of Gaia. I mean, yeah, I have a copy of Illusion of Gaia. I picked that up at a local store. I've yet to play it, um, but I mean, with that one being it's... the first one, Robotrek was another one I wanted to try as well, but cartridges are pretty expensive like that so really kind of hoping uh square kind of works with nintendo on the snes app and releases some of these you know old quintet rpgs because uh, i would totally play actraiser like i said before i would totally play actraiser again if it came on that um that service all right are we done with your quintet <laughs> a term i have heard plenty of times too yeah don't you mean listening oh, quintet? because a... isn't a quintet five people oh yeah there you go so, so you're part of it too, Platty. Don't be throwing us under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for this episode of uh, <laughs> Slime Time Sidetrack. We would like to thank our quintet of us. <laughs> and we were All never right, heard well, from again. <laughs> we just finished talking about one NX game and might as well go into another one. That was only published here by them. It wasn't developed by them. <laughs> But um, much like uh, Pendy said, you know, oh, you know, lots of good Dragon Warrior games. Might as well pick up the uh, Super Nintendo and keep the love going because there'll probably be more there. And I kind of did the same. Got my Madden, played Madden for a year, two years, three years, you know, forever because nothing else came. So um, September 1993, Enix did uh, publish in the United States a game called The Seventh Saga. And I can't remember if I saw it somewhere or 
just happened to see it and it, I, I know it was the logo the little enix logo on it was like the thing that was like ooh, i, I might like that uh but i got it i pretty sure i got it used i got it a couple years later uh, i went off to college in 1996 and this and madden 96 were the only games i brought with the super nintendo i just didn't really play a lot of console games i don't know why i never I mean, didn't even consider the Final Fantasies at the time, even though I'd played the first one on um, my Nintendo. But the Seventh Saga was pretty much the, uh, other than Final Fantasy 1 and Dragon Warrior 1 through 4, it was my second, definitively say it was the sixth RPG I ever played. And uh, I played it for quite a few years over and over again, because that's just what I had. Um, it was made by a company called Produce, or produce. Um, they had a couple other games that they did too. But what I thought was cool about this is, you know, is what I was looking for, turn-based battle system. But you could play as any of seven different playable characters. And throughout the game, you could team up with one other character. And the whole point of the game was you were trying to get the seven magical runes. So seven playable characters going to get seven playable runes and the runes were awesome when you got them because they basically each had um like a spell associated with them like the fire rune would raise your attack um the water rune the blue rune would heal you so it was you know you'd have them in your inventory and they'd be these free spells free items that you could just use every round if you wanted um the pain in the butt part about this is some of these runes could get stolen by other players throughout um and this is this is where it became one bitch of a game uh first off the english version of this got an accidental difficulty tweak um can't remember if it was on purpose or an accident but in the process of bringing it over to the united states the difficulty got ramped up um some integer got changed and Player, the monsters either had a higher encounter rate or higher hit points. I can't remember the whole story behind that, but it was an issue that in the um, original Japanese release wasn't a problem. But over here, it kind of got a little bit infamous for being like that really hard-ass game. I honestly never found that to be the hard point. Um, I just had some of my favorite characters, and sometimes you would talk to characters and they wouldn't join you. Um, I, there was some mechanic behind that. Um, different parts of the game, different ones would have different um, chances of joining up with you. And there were some times where I'd have one partner, and I can't remember if you could switch partners or whatever. I'm trying to remember, like, what was the reason I would go talk to this person? But you'd get in battles with the other characters. And this is where the difficulty really was a pain in the butt, because they usually um, could beat you, and they would take your runes. It wasn't like game over or anything. And there were a couple times that I accidentally made a save, like, after I'd lost my runes to a character. And I know the runes would glow. There was a little, um, you know, it, it, back then it was pretty unique or pretty new. But there was a little radar at the top of your screen whenever you were in somewhere where the uh, enemies were. There was a little, just little bubble up there. And you would see little red dots um, that would kind of show you where enemies were. It, it wasn't exactly very easy to dodge them or anything, but you could at least kind of prepare, be like, oh man, I'm about to get in a battle. It wasn't completely random, but oh my gosh, 
losing the runes middle of the game, later in the game, you'd have to go fight that person to get the runes back. And all of a sudden, Dude. all the strategy that you had, like, oh, man, I got free healing spells. I got free defense up, free power up. You didn't have that. They had that. <laughs> and it was You're making this sound a- like the game I never want to touch. Well, oh, it's God. so it's so weird listening to you this, describe this only because of what my other game is going to be talking like. And it's just making me think, gee, and game with the name Saga in it being odd and hard to play. That sounds familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've made the joke more than once is this is the seventh Saga game where they finally got things right. So I was looking into it when I saw on the list because I had never heard about it. And Mm -hmm. uh, I really like the box art. It says, warning, this RPG may cause excitement, shock, disbelief, confusion, and complete enjoyment. Is that well, well some of those points think? are right. I would I would say all of those points are right, unfortunately and fortunately throughout the game. <laughs> well, the marketing must have worked then, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like I said, I probably beat this game three times, three, four times, and it was a slog. It was a slog. It was a grind. And there yeah, there were just times that I'd just have to like power level the hell out of my guys. Um but I thought the characters were all pretty cool, you know, coming from Dragon Quest. And just one Final Fantasy where, you know, it was just all basically your human characters um, in the first and in, in all the NES games. Um, there was this guy that was like a fiery alien with had like spikes all over him. There was a 5000 year old robot. Um, you had the old dwarf guy with an axe. You had the human knight, you know, your typical well-rounded person. Um, God, there was this one red guy that was like a power hungry demon. Um, really good attack spells. He was good to pair up with people, but I do know, um, I remember him being difficult to recruit in summer. Maybe he wouldn't join certain, um, partners. Difficult to you fight only go, too. What? Difficult to fight too, if you had to fight the Oh master. God, yeah. He was ridiculous. Um, you know, there's another elderly human cleric, and then there was an elf magic user too, to round out the seven. But, I mean, those were all... Well, not all of them, but there were many that were like so radically different from Dragon Warrior one through four and Final Fantasy one. And I was just like, this is so awesome. And it had that. um, I mentioned this, I think, a long time ago when we were talking um, or actually maybe it was just the last episode, the Super Nintendo non RPGs. But it had that mode seven graphic effect where you'd be walking along um, and it would kind of look like you're walking along just a 2D flat world. And when you got into a battle, it would spin around and suddenly the camera was behind your character and you were standing on that terrain and the monster just popped up out of the terrain. So it, the battle screens were pretty cool to see. And I mean, it did feel a little limited coming from games where I'd been playing with four characters to now I only have two, but it worked out all right. It worked out all right. I, I, again, it was difficult as hell. Um these days this would be a game i would rage quit on i'm sure um but back then when it was the only thing that i had going it was great and i mean it it, i I, it's a special thing in my heart because it was kind of my first super nintendo rpg and like i said the only one i brought to college so for like three and a half years it was the only console one that I played. I was more into PC gaming at that point. A lot of city building stuff. But, you know, if I fired up the Super Nintendo, it was mainly for this. You know, this is a game that I do want to try and play. But at the same time, I want to see if there's a way to play the original Japanese release 
<clears throat> with the uh, you know the English translation or like a fan retranslation, only because I know how inf- how infamously difficult this original version is. <laughs> oh, I am sure there is a fan translation out there with the with the difficulty adjusted properly. That's a good question. I wonder mm-hmm. if they if someone ever did that. If they took the original Japanese version and then put a patch to it. Yeah. But yeah, this game was super, super difficult. Like, it, I mean, because what you were talking about, Platy, with like fighting the other characters, like with, mm-hmm. when you when you were partnered up with somebody, it wasn't like that that bad. But when you were just like in the beginning, when you're just you're one character by itself, and you had yep. to go battle someone, ah, uh, that was the worst. Those one on one battles, sometimes those were impossible. And I kept like I cycled through so many characters before I decided who to go with that where I wouldn't die all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I ended up. <laughs> going with like uh the dwarf and that robot and that was like the best party that i came up with and that was what i was able to beat the game with but i had to experiment so many times because all the other characters that i picked they would get their ass kicked and i couldn't i couldn't continue the game <laughs> it was so oh difficult. no it was yeah no it, it completely had those issues yeah with you the right with the with the way it's set up and the glitch that made it more difficult on the american side like this has a a really uh, a huge um what do you call it uh has a huge yeah it's just it's known it's very well known for being one of the more difficult Mm -hmm. super nintendo games or just rpgs in general and it's it's kind of funny because usually we were treated to like the easy version of an rpg the japanese Mm -hmm. were like oh you guys you kids over there can't handle our stuff so here's final final fantasy 4 easy version or or we'll make mystic quest for you for you little kids because you can't handle our stuff (laughs) but then we accidentally got the hard version with seven saga and we're like oh my god we're sorry Stop it. <laughs> We're so sorry. <laughs> so there is a patch out there called the uh, Seventh Saga Redux, and uh, weapons and armors have higher attack defensive powers um, and attack magic resistances. Um, attack magic has higher spell power. Um, some guys learn some spells. Monsters are weak and strong against different elements. This seems like they've added stuff, though, to the game in that patch. Yeah, it sounds more like they tweaked the American version rather than, yep. you know, Based experience and gold is doubled yeah well i mean if i mean if they were able to get it tweaked so it's a little more of a fair and you know more balanced experience and you know however they had to do it i guess it works <laughs> mm-hmm. spells are learned a little bit earlier and there's an enemy that drops unique best weapons and armors for all seven characters hmm. Hmm. i don't know where it was that i heard this from but i remember hearing about this game i, I want to say it was around the time where i was learning about chrono trigger because i think it was about that point where i was starting to learn about more super nintendo rpgs and this was one that you know one of the first things i heard is like oh there's this really difficult game called the seventh saga and it, you know it's just brutally difficult and blah 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 but it wasn't until i started seeing videos i think just actually last year or the year before that i you know found out about that change where they actually made the american version more difficult which that was definitely surprising to hear especially after the points that pendy just made a little bit ago <laughs> with the like a final fantasy mystic quest and things like that mm. They did not respect us at the time. <laughs> no, <laughs> it, 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 it's it's funny that that you know that game is infamous for basically that. But when I was a kid, I enjoyed Mystic Quest. Oh no, I don't blame you. It's I mean, it ended up being it's somebody's uh, a lot of people's uh, like it ended up being a starter RPG for a lot of people, which is what its purpose was. Yeah, um, to get kind of you know get kids in America into RPGs and and that kind of kind of thing. But right. yeah, they they were just yeah they didn't really. 
respect us that much. It's like, ah, oh, these, these these Americans can't handle our RPGs. They're too hard for them. So, like, here's all the easy versions of stuff and things like that. So, right. that's whatever. All right. So, you've heard all of us uh, talk about a game so far tonight. And you've heard Burian speaking tonight. But, Burian, just wanted to check one last time. You do not have, like, one or two specific games to talk about? Honestly, anything that I probably would have talked about, most people had already selected. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're here for always the color commentary. I'm here for the color commentary. There's always Lufia. I mean, we didn't particularly talk about Lufia. Um, no. I don't have any of the hard facts on it, but it was it was actually one of the first Super Nintendo RPGs that I played, even before like Chrono Trigger or Final Fantasy or anything like that. Um, I had gone over to a friend's house, and he just, he, this was one of those kids that he he had every video game under the sun. His parents bought him <laughs> everything. So we're flipping through it, we're flipping through it, and I see the, we're flipping through all his games, and I see the cover art for Lufia, and I'm like, oh, this looks cool, what is this? We boot it up, and we play it for the first hour, and it was like a Taito RPG, if I remember right. Taito originally developed this one which is now owned by Square Enix. All is consumed eventually by Square Enix. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's a very charming RPG. It's different from everything else that was out on the Super Nintendo at the time. I know I, it know, had puzzle elements to it. It, it kind of did. It was also mm-hmm. a very slow RPG. Like, movement on the maps were slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, movement in dungeons were slow. Battle was slow. Battle was also very hard because in the very beginning of the game, you could get floored by, like, frogs <laughs> in like some of the first areas if you were not careful um i mean was, i do remember re- playing these back to back one summer yeah probably right around the time that i did uh chrono trigger and i mean the stories were pretty cool because didn't the first game open with um like four heroes yeah, defeating so, something yeah, so the very beginning of the game is the legendary heroes defeating mm-hmm. the you know, legendary bad guys, and a hundred years have passed, and you are Ma- you are the descendant of Maxim, the legendary hero. Um, and you know, the 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 floating fortress has arisen again, and the centrals are returning, and it is up to you to stop them from returning. Um, I believe in another side quest, I talked about the Game Boy Advance Lufia, which kinda kinda does the same thing. Like, all of the Lufia games, except for the second game, are kind of like, hey, the Sinstrels are coming back. you got to deal with that. <laughs> but it's really interesting because the first game is technically a sequel to the second game. But it That's came right. first. Yeah, in the second game, you are the four heroes. Yeah. So yeah. you already know the ending of the game beforehand because you experience it in the first 10, 20 minutes of Lufia 1. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like... Uh, the translation also wasn't so hot for that game. It kind of had a Breath of Fire kind of translation to where <laughs> it was super simplistic. <laughs> That's really funny because we were just talking about that on the Discord. <laughs> and um, the only knock that I have against the combat system for it, it's really cool because when you're in combat, you've got uh, your four characters. You've got like little sprites of them at the bottom. So you can see them do little attack animations and little spell animations and stuff like that. And as it rotates through, 
your characters, you get to choose what you want to do, and you have to use the D-pad to kind of select which way you're going to do. Instead of like rotating through a menu, you push mm -hmm. up if you want. You push up and A if you want to attack, down and A if you want to defend, left, right and A if you item and and so on and so forth. And that, that um, is one of the definitive things I remembered about those games. Like yeah, yeah, there was no battle also, menu necessarily. Also, once you input a command, there was no going back. <laughs> That was the rough part. So if you go, ah, oh, crap, I selected the wrong spell. Also, like, because of the poor translation, you had no idea what the spells did. If you didn't know to push the X button when you're hovering over any spell, because then it tells you what to do. I didn't know that for like 10 years until someone goes, wait, can't you just push this button? And it's like, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> But um, it's been a while since I've gone through it. I, I actually own a cartridge of this one. I've uh, been trying to get a second uh, or a, a copy of the second game for forever and ever. But, you know, that's one of the expensive ones. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if the team that did Lufia really ever did anything else after they did, you know, the two Lufia games. Um, other than remaking, I think, Lufia 2 on the DS. Hmm. Yeah, not really sure. And yeah, you did. I remember you talked about this on our Game Boy episode. Yeah, I talked about um, The Legend Returns, which is like 100 years after the first game. So it's like 200 <laughs> years after Lufia 2. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. The company that made this was Neverland. You might know them as the people who make Rune Factory these days. Woohoo! Wow, they're not. Wait, are they still around, or is that the one that died? Uh, they and... are. They they went defunct like yeah. about a decade they, ago. They died after uh, Rune Factory Four. That was their swan song. Yeah, I believe Marvelous has now taken over the Rune Factory IP. Yes, but um, hey, yeah, good just, job though. Before I'm you just, know, I'm just kind of flipping through what they've done, and yeah, most of most of the stuff they did was either Rune Factory or Lufia. All right, so I've played. Well, I haven't. I haven't played these. Uh, but you were saying that. In the first game, you have like this, you see like this big battle from the past, and then that ends up being the hero heroes that you control in Lufia 2. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that what that made me think of is that what I would that's what I would like to see as like a spin-off game from Dragon Quest XI. Because those legendary heroes that you get to see their story throughout the game, I would love to see those uh play as those heroes, even though you know what's gonna happen. Um, I would like to play as those heroes in like a side a side oh, game. Absolutely. Play as those guys. Dare put that yeah, up. Cool. That sounds so cool. <laughs> I thought that, that pretty once cool. I beat the game, I was like, oh, they should do a game with these guys too. I would love to play as these people. Dragon Quest 12 confirmed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, like, you know, eventually Taito got absorbed by Square Enix because they just, I think, outright bought the company. So uh, yeah, that's my little tidbit about lufia i guess um anybody <laughs> all right we love it? having you for a yeah. commentary <laughs> you're here to make fun of us that's what it's all about man we gotta have that smart ass on here <laughs> well we can always go back to talking about chrono trigger i could we could spend an entire episode on that one for me <laughs> oh boy we probably could have but or better or bit or better yet a spoiler cast for chrono cross oh that'd be fun um, we need to make sure we go into all 30 whatever characters' backstories. And <laughs> I think it's more like 50, right? 60. Actually, there is 55 characters. There you go. 55. Oh my God. 55. 55 characters. No, I don't know if it's actually that much, but there it's, are. 
There is it's like 40. Plus, it's like it's 45 40. or something. Oh, okay. oh my god. I could, Don't I could worry, some head. of the character stories are really short. It's just like, oh, this character exists because of my favorite that's all their story. That's all he's my an favorite. alien and he's here for fun. My favorite one is um, a man goes into the forest to find a legendary mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> you and meet up with him and he finds mushroom. it and he eats it and he becomes the mushroom and he just goes, all right, let's let's go. And that's his yeah. that's his backstory. Yeah, I love it because he'll just be like, you know what? You caused this to you made me turn into this mushroom. I'm coming with you. I could I could be the heckler on that episode, though. I, I will I will say, man, it has such a good soundtrack. That game. That's the one yes. thing I was like, yes, yeah. It's one of the best soundtracks I've ever heard for a video game. It's, it was very impressive. I got a story about that soundtrack, but I'll save it for that episode. <laughs> but you know what the you know what the crazy thing to me about Lufia is it. Is the complete lack of it's in Square Enix's catalog, and they have remade one game and only re-released one game, and that's the they they remade Lufia Two for the DS. They turned it into an action um, RPG, so no random battle. So it's like swinging stuff on the field. It didn't do too hot, Um, but they had the they had the original developers come back and do it. So there was that at least. And then you know the re-release of the game, one, the the Game Boy Color game on the, the 3DS eShop. But other than that, Lufia, Lufia Two, and then the Game Boy Advance version have never had a re-release of any kind. Mm-hmm. Like not even like emulation, not even like on a virtual eShop or something. I, who knows why? If they did it, people would buy it. Absolutely. Yeah. I will say the one thing that I remember hearing about this series, I've, I've watched a little bit of a Let's Play of the first game, but with the second game in particular, I remember hearing about how there was this uh, really long dungeon and it called like the Ancient Cave or something like that. Yes, yes. it is. It's and, really um, cool because it's like a hundred floors. Jeez. But I remember hearing about this and I remember specifically because they talked about how I guess in the western version of the game specifically like the one that came out here in the US apparently there's a glitch on the last floor that like totally messes up the tile palette and makes everything look like a big garish mess (laughs) meanwhile like I guess in the Europe and Japanese version that you know it looks like it's supposed to and everything but if you play the US one like it looks like this like someone kind of threw up on the screen basically (laughs) that's funny (laughs) and I've seen Oh, I might, I'll have to look up, see if I can find the clip of it, show you guys in our chat. But if you, for anyone who's listening, if you go to the YouTube channel, HC Bailey, and look up his Lufia 2 playthrough, go towards the end of the playlist, and there should be a video for that, like for the end of the cave. And you'll see what we were talking about then. It looks, it's it's really funny to look at. I'll I'll just put it that way. (laughs) Nice. All right, everyone. It is time to cycle through us all again. Um, Pendy, you want to go with your second game? Sure. I'm going to go with Secret of Mana. That's going to be the next game I'm talking about. This came out in Japan in August of 1999, and we got it in North America shortly after in October of... Did I say 1999? I think I, I think I meant... You did. Sorry. <laughs> 1993. It would help if I uh, write some better notes. But it came out in North America in October of 1993, And then they actually threw Europe a bone, and it came out for the PAL region in November of 1994. It would also go on to be released for future systems such as various mobile platforms, the Wii, and the Wii U Virtual Console. And it would become part of the Switch compilation that would have all the uh, Seiken Densetsu uh, games, 1, 2, and 3, because this is actually... 
Secret of Mana is actually called in Japan Seiken Densetsu 2. There's actually a whole big thing with the, the naming convention when it comes to these games that I'll go into later. But um, eventually, they made a full-blown remake for the PlayStation 4 and uh, also was on Platy's favorite system, the Vita. <laughs> Woo-hoo! <laughs> like I said, in, uh, in Japan, it's called Seiken Densetsu 3. Seiken Densetsu 1 was called Final Fantasy Adventure out in the West, out here. It was part of... Uh, Square's many schemes to increase sales through deceptive naming practice practices that they're famous for. Uh, Secret of Mana was actually, I looked this up, Secret of Mana was actually initially advertised as Final Fantasy Adventure 2 before they made the switch to Secret of Mana. Um, me personally, I've only played the Super Nintendo version so far. I've not played the remake yet, though I've heard that it has some pretty cringy voice acting to it. Have you guys heard about that? <laughs> oh, yeah, I've yeah. played... I played the PS4 version, and I got through about 20 minutes of the English dub for the game. And you, once you select your dub, you can't oh, no. select it unless you start a new game. So I got 20 minutes in, and I'm like, I cannot deal with this. So I restarted <laughs> and went with the Japanese dialogue. Boy, they, I guess they didn't learn their lesson then, because in, tri- in the Trials of Mana remake that came out uh, last year, that had really bad English voice acting, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's weird because, like, you know, I, I, I've played video games forever, and I was, you know, played video games back during the PS1 era where we had some really, really bad uh, voice acting back then when they were first trying to figure everything out and it wasn't, you know, popular yet. But these days, like most video games for the, you know, especially major releases, it has decent voice acting. There's a lot of veteran actors out there that they go to that do a lot of anime and video games, stuff like that. But I, so it's just weird when you hear about like a major release like that getting like super bad voice acting, which it apparently did. <laughs> I don't know why. I guess they cheaped out on it. Uh, but I've, like I said, I've only played the Super Nintendo version. Um, I'm not like a super fan of the game, but I, I do enjoy it a lot. But the real reason I picked this one was because of the strong multiplayer memories I have of this game with my little brother. Uh, this game's an action RPG. Battles are fought in real time, and you will eventually will have two other party members that join you on the screen. You can bring up a ringed menu, <clears throat> uh, bring up a ringed menu screen system where you get a variety of spells based off various elemental spirits that you rescue throughout the game. You also get eight different weapons that you can... uh, You'll eventually get eight different weapons that you get to cycle through and you can upgrade throughout the game as well. But next is where the game gets really fun to play, at least in my opinion, and based off of my experience. You can have two other people join in and control the two other characters uh, with the Super Nintendo version. I would have been around 14 uh, of the time of release, of this game and my brother would have been 10 uh, exactly we we're actually uh, four years apart to the day born on the same day kind of a weird wow. coincidence kind of thing but we played this game together from beginning to end or at least when once you get a second character where he can jump in and it's just it's one of my favorite memories playing uh, games together with my brother when uh, we were growing up it's a fantastic adventure and it's so fun to play co-op i have the switch compilation that has this game and I hope to play it with my soon-to-be wife when she moves to America in the future. I bought it just you know, specifically for that so that we can do that as well. Because she's quite the gamer herself. So that's, that's why I love this game. It's just the co-op is just so much fun for this. What do you guys think of it, for those who've played it? Like I said, I've only un- unfortunately only played the PS4 version. Now that I have a Switch, I would like to get the, um, that compilation uh, collection that they did so I can play through the original Super Nintendo version. 
Yeah, and it almost didn't come out here because when it first came out in Japan, there was, as far as I knew, there was no plans to bring it to America, and it was a very long time in between huh. when it came out in Japan and it came out here. I was really yeah. mad about it because I was like, oh man, this would be perfect. It's like it's it's ports of the original games. It also has Seiken Densetsu three, which we didn't get originally, though you can emulate it, and there's an English patch for it. But I was like, oh, this is great, and the, I'll get a Switch. And I was like, what? And then I was like, no, no plans to release it. And I was like, well, I'm not buying a Switch then. Screw you, Nintendo, if you're not going to release it. <laughs> One of my favorite games. But eventually they did, and now you can get it, and it's wonderful. <laughs> um, I think that might have been more Square Enix being Square Enix than Oh, Nintendo, I'm sure. But... <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> but I get what you mean. I know that was, um, what was it? That was that they revealed in like E3 2019 that that collection and the remake of Trials of uh, Mana was coming over here. Yes, I remember. But that. I remember, like, I remember because that day I had to work and I was like getting updates like throughout the day when I could check my phone. And um, I remember that that was one of the surprise announcements that a lot of people were really excited about that we yep. were getting that uh, collection of Mana. Came out of nowhere. Know, that was that was a game that nobody thought was going to come over. So. Nope. <laughs> I was so excited. I was like, "Oh, they changed their minds. It's great." It was. It was yeah. like Dragon Quest. It was like Dragon Quest Seven on the 3DS all over again. Like we, yeah. we didn't oh, think we we're gonna get it, and then boom! Ooh. Surprise! Here you go. Yeah, man. I still remember where I was standing when I found out about that. <laughs> I mean, talk about like you know, presidents get killed. That's where my parents remember where they were when Kennedy got shot. No, I can remember where I was, what kids were in my classroom during the uh, club that I had that day when I found out we were getting Dragon Quest Seven. It's awesome. <laughs> I think I was. I think I was sitting at work when it was for me for that. I think I was. I. I think I was going into my um, fall break from college at that point, like at the at the Nintendo Direct where they revealed that. And I remember seeing that announcement. It was just like, oh my god. <laughs> but yeah, didn't they, I, I, I mean, didn't they announce played... both of those back to back? Didn't they do seven and eight basically at the seven at the same time? Um, sort of. So, 7 3DS came out here in September 2016, while Dragon Quest Eight came out in January 2017. So, they were about four or five months apart. Oh, uh, you were going to say the something about though. Secret of Mana? Yeah, um, yeah. So, I have not played Secret of Mana. I've heard, you know, heard plenty about it. And when I saw that Collection of Mana was announced, it's like, oh, you know, that'd be a cool game to, uh, you know, pick up for my Switch and, you know, give them a chance. Especially because I had really wanted to try playing uh, Trials of Mana or... You know, before that, it was known as Seiken Densetsu 3, because I had heard so many good things about that one. And I had originally planned to play the fan translation at some point, but then with the, you know, the official collection coming over, I wanted to support that. So yeah. you know, I picked up the physical copy at one point at Best Buy, and I got, I haven't beaten Trials of Mana yet, but I've really enjoyed it, even though yeah. it got really annoyingly frustrating because of how the enemy uh, difficulty was going up, but it's, it was still really fun, and yeah. the AI, I was afraid it wasn't going to be that good because, you know, it's more of a multiplayer kind of RPG, action RPG sort of thing, but maybe maybe just a, a secret of Mana that, you know, they were just still figuring out that sort of AI, because I haven't had too much troubles when I've at least played uh, Trials of Mana with the AI characters that I have. No, I played the, uh, I emulated this i emulated that in a uh, college and played played it with a fan translation and i didn't i played that solo didn't play it with anybody and yeah it's it's not the ai is not that bad so even you know playing one player it was a very very fun game mm -hmm. i will say too that even though i haven't listened to the full soundtrack of uh, secret of mana or trials of mana quite yet i will say that they do have very unique sounding um osts in a good way, they sound unique because it was kind of 
the sound yes. you didn't expect, at least from, in my opinion, it wasn't what you expected to hear sound no, I, from a Super Nintendo game, and I think that really works in its favor. I totally agree with that. Like, uh, it, nothing about nothing about what I've heard from that game led me to believe it was going to be like what it was, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, I get what you mean. You know, you get sort of, because you, you kind of get a picture in your head when you hear songs before you might see what it connects to for a game. Is that what you're kind of talking about? Yeah, yeah, because I obviously haven't played Trials of Money yet, but I've listened to some of the uh, music on YouTube. And um, then, you know, I watched, tra- I watched trailers of it and I was like, that's not what I was expecting at all. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, seems like the uh, secret's out of the bag on that one. So. Yangus, what are you going to talk about? Snuffleupagus? No, I don't feel like that. Oh. I feel like instead teaching you the guys the secret of romancing. Ooh, we could, already know. This could be a bad thing to talk about, but... P- Pendy's getting it. married, like, any day now. He knows <laughs> yeah. the secret. Bring, bring, bring the, the tips, man. Let me tell I need you. the hot tips. These let's are go, the tips. Go. Okay. <laughs> I am the love guru. Here, Here's your advice. <laughs> get, oh, get your notepad ready, Pendy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah... Uh, uh, for my second game, I am going to talk about Romancing Saga 2. This was a game that originally released on the Super Famicom in Japan uh, back in the early 90s, I believe 1993, if I remember if I have my date right. But the game did see a worldwide release in 2017 on various systems, thanks to the remake it received, uh, which Yay. was... <laughs> I'm sure Platy is getting fun flashbacks with this game as I talk about it. Um, so this is a game that focuses on generations of the Varenes of excuse me focuses on the Varenes Empire, uh, beginning with Emperor Leon and his sons Victor and Gerard. Uh, Gerard being the one that you eventually control. You actually start the game by selecting between a man and a woman who you will later find out are the final emperor slash empress, respectively. And rather than the game actually starting you with this character, it actually does a Dragon Quest IV sort of scenario where you get to see the character for a little bit at the beginning, but then you find out that pretty much the whole game is told through the songs of a minstrel in a bar, or a, a minstrel in a tavern, who recalls the story of the Varenes Empire, starting with the days of uh, Emperor Leon. Uh, event, uh, anyway... So you begin with Leon and his two sons, Victor and Gerard, like I said, and eventually you will end with the final emperor or empress, depending on who you chose. Uh, The Empire is fighting to stop the seven heroes, who are a group of individuals who ages ago protected the world uh, from monster kind, but disappeared once they had brought peace to the world. Uh, The group was formed of seven figures, like I said, and they were uh, Wagnus, Noel, Rockbukyu, Dontarg, uh, Don Bokan, Subier, and Zinzi. Uh, years later, when Monster Kind uh, begins to take over the world again, uh, the people call up for the help of the heroes to return, only for the heroes to return as these demonic beasts and with these monstrous forms, and begin to actually take control of all these monster armies across the world. Uh, the game has you creating parties for each of the emperors slash empress of each generation, from various classes. With this game, every time that a generation ends for a character, whether it's you've completed a major event like defeating one of the seven heroes, or you've fought enough battles, or you've completed enough events throughout the world, you then get to choose a brand new heir to take your place, which can either be from one of the uh, job classes that you've either that you've either recruited from the game as you've completed different events, or in like one of my cases when I was playing the game. 
it was actually give me the option for a character who I had not recruited for our, for, a, for a possible job class. Uh, the reason why we're able to do this is thanks to this magic called inheritance magic that Emperor Leon, uh, the first emperor who begins this trend, learned from a wandering uh, fortune teller who was trying to warn him about the seven heroes returning. So with each emperor, that, emperor or empress that you pick, you then get a form of party of these different classes. So you have a small selection available at the beginning, mainly those who live within the kingdom of Avalon, which is where, uh, which is the capital of this empire. But as you travel the world and you meet new people and go to new places, uh, you will begin to gain allies from across the world. Uh, this includes other rulers from different countries, uh, wandering nomads, various servants and members of your royal army, which will expand as time goes on. Uh, you have Amazonian women, deep sea divers, pirates who call themselves traveling merchants of the sea, and members of the different <laughs> elemental races, including mole men, salamanders, mermaids, and bird people. Heck, you even get to recruit a robot created by an old inventor, so you have a large variety of characters with strengths and weaknesses. A uh, big thing to note with this game is that every character, regardless of what they are or who they are, uh, can become the emperor slash empress. If your current ruler dies or if they lose all of their life points, which is one of the gameplay features slash uh, stats that you have to pay attention to in a saga game, uh, you can either uh, choose one of your party members to take up the role of the new emperor slash empress if your uh, current emperor slash empress die dies or you'll be able to select a brand new character in the event you get a full party wipe and you know everybody loses all their life points uh, this game is all about uh, you know taking what you gain from your previous generations you know giving it to the new generation that will take over your place and then helping expand your empire further and further defeating the seven heroes so one of my favorite uh, gameplay features from this particular game is that whenever you master new abilities such as mastering new skills with an axe or new skills with fisticuffs and you reach the next generation you're actually then able to impart those skills onto uh, your new characters. So let's say you learn one of the powerful Fisticuff skills, Gunyan. You are able to pass that skill on to any other martial artist characters or anyone who you want to you know, focus on physical Fisticuff skills. You'll be able to pass that skill on, provided you learned it in the, next, in the previous generation. You just have to go into the training hall, talk to the instructors, and they can uh, give you the ability then whenever you need, whenever you need it. Uh, you can also gain new formations this way in the training hall, depending on who your current emperor slash empress is. So it's always a good idea to try out new uh, rulers uh, from new from uh, the various classes because you might gain a brand new powerful um, a brand new formation that's either really good for offense, one that's really good for defense, one that's good for magic. Just kind of depends on who you have as your current lead. So as you play the game, you will explore uh, new places, which you'll be able to learn about uh, thanks to NPCs or by completing different story events. Big thing to know with this game is that speaking to characters is very important. This can change what you can create in the, in the city of Avalon or, and more importantly, where you can end up going. You can create a lot of things in the city of Avalon, such as a magic institution to master various spells. Uh, you can create a small hometown for all of your allies who live outside Avalon, so you can easily recruit them without having to go to their hometowns. Uh, there's an orchard that you can uh, create in order to help increase the Empire's revenue. And there are some other additions, such as having a famed inventor near Avalon creating inventions like a bridge. Oh, and I mean, he can make a robot too, but it's, it's not as cool as the bridge. I mean... It's a bridge. 
<laughs> until the bridge goes away. Yeah, because it gets destroyed by a narwhal. <laughs> yep. So this is one of those games that it was definitely different for its time and different even still now. Because this game, at least as far as I can, would call it, it's like a choose-your-adventure book. As you will receive different outcomes depending on how you approach different situations and events. Uh, for example, the one that always sticks out in my mind is when you're going after the great hero of Bokan out on the Great Plains, which is far to the east of Avalon. Uh, you can either, excuse me, you will encounter uh, this strange land ship and the nomads that live on the plains will be like, well, there's this boat that all these monsters keep coming from. We're not really sure what's doing out here in the middle of the you know, the Great Plains, but it keeps, you know, taking all our livelihood, which is all these plants and herbs that we use to sell and help keep our village alive. So you speak to the elder, he helps you, he'll tell you about what's going on, and then you can either try and attack the ship head on, or you can tell him to wait because you'll think of a strategy. Now, depending on what you pick, you might end up, you know, trying to charge the ship head on. You'll be, um, you'll find that the ship begins to move around and monsters become more active, and including taking over the nearby town, which can kidnap you, take you onto the boat that's on the Great Plains and essentially strip you of all your gear. So you have to try and get through there, uh, try and find your stuff and defeat Bokan from the inside. Or you can uh, recruit a tactician in Avalon via the uh, academy you can create, and he'll come up with the idea to create a, uh, a ship to act as a decoy in order to lure out Bokan and all of his allies. Uh, this will end up letting you go into the ship without having to deal with as many enemies and defeat Bokan while his forces are at their weakest. So your choices in the game can have a really big impact on how events play out, uh, what allies you can get, and where you can fast travel to. Because the more you do to help out all the different nations and countries and everything like that, the bigger the empire grows and the more allies you'll have in your battle against the seven heroes. So this remake in particular includes a lot of new story content, uh, such as a brand new dungeon that'll expand on the stories of the seven heroes and why they are the way they are. Uh, there are two new uh, job classes, the ninja and diviner. Uh, ninja being a good physical class and the diviner being a strong magical class that can specialize in shadow magic. And there's some new optional bosses, one of which is just stupidly overpowered and makes the final boss fight look like child's play. And if you've ever played Romancing Saga 2, I'm just going to say the word termites and you'll know just how bad the super boss is <laughs> from all the other bosses you got to fight. All right, so this is a game that you might have heard Platy and I talk about a few times in past Cyclist episodes because Platy and I tried to race this game. And as we learned, this is one of the hardest games in the Saga series. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Well, Platy, you got about 30 hours or so from this game. Do you remember how much you played? I, I, I was in the 20s. It, it was somewhere, I mean, it probably wasn't 30, but I know I was in the 20s. I got through, gosh, four, five, six generations. I had opened up 70, 80% of the world, and I had defeated exactly one of the uh, <laughs> the one that you, beat, you have to beat at the beginning. I had defeated exactly one of the uh, big bad guys, and I was like, oh, crap. I'll be honest, it was that boat. You were talking about the options about the boat in the desert, and there was, um, I did the option where I chose to go to the boat and I got captured or whatever and was there without equipment, and I had to go in and find the equipment and everything. And, man, I must have done that boat so many times, going through, getting everything, and then trying to beat the boss, and I just couldn't do it. And I had to go back to a previous save at one point. I'm like, I can't do this. Because you're in that boat, you can't get out of the boat mm -hmm. um, until you win. And I think that was one of the things that finally just broke me. I was like, <laughs> I'm making no progress. I 
podcast. Um, every now and then, I'm on uh, RP Gamers Q and A Quest, and Michael on there is got the I think the only strategy guide really on um, game FAQs about this. I mean, he wrote it like 18 years ago, and like I was trying to get help from him, and <laughs> that couldn't even that couldn't even save me. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I, I did have fun for, you know, I was just progressing along and opening up areas and solving the world's little problems. And, um, yeah, when it came time to actually get shit done with the big bosses, like, I just, I, I hadn't progressed the right way or enough or too much because things scale up if you play too long and fight too many battles. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's definitely a case, like, when you lose all your armor like that, that if you had a bunch of characters who were specialized in, like, the fisticuffs and, like, could use a lot of, like, the martial arts sort of stuff, you probably would be okay to get through that then, because, you know, you'd have a party that could fight with their fists <laughs> or with, like, <laughs> magic users or something. But, you know, that I think that is one of the things that, and at least in my experience, I found enjoyable about this game because you kind of learn as you play and figure out the stuff. So even though, you know, like, we both started this in end of 2019, we both, you know, kind of went back to it here and forth, here and there. Platy did eventually, you know, as he said, he stopped after about 20 hours, especially after he got stuck on the boat. But I kept returning uh, to the game every now and then because I, I personally found this to be a very satisfying experience of a game because I had that sensation of, you know, wanting to beat the challenges the game threw at me and discover more of this world and its characters. Uh, you get a, a lot of world building as you progress through the game and you start learning about the different villages and places you go and... You also, let's see, you get a lot of world building for the game. And you get a lot of background stories for the seven heroes, not only from the new content that's in this remake, but I actually was surprised that, you know, they, there is content that actually goes over the backgrounds of the seven heroes if you're able to reach this village that that oracle from the beginning of the game is from. You're going to learn a lot of details about them and about, you know, how they became the way that they did. Uh, the experience of this game, and I'll probably get some eye rolls or people chuckling about it, but the experience of this game reminded me a lot of the Dark Souls games, mainly in how you can uncover the game at your own pace and you get that satisfaction of overcoming the odds and learning the ins and outs of the game's many mechanics. So what so, you're saying is that Dark Souls is the saga frontier or saga, romancing saga of action games. <laughs> I mean, you can interpret it that way if you want, but... <laughs> you died. But I, I did get that sort of feeling from it, just in turn-based form from the 90s. <laughs> but one of my personal favorite things about this game is the music. So the soundtrack was composed by Kenji Itoi, who has been a series of... Or, excuse me who has been the series composer for most games of the Saga series. He didn't do the soundtrack to... I think the only ones he didn't do the soundtrack to was um, the... Ah, what was it? He didn't do Saga Frontier 2 and Unlimited Saga, but he did come back to do uh, Saga Scarlet Grace when that eventually came out in like late 2015 for the Vita. And he's done a lot of the mobile game soundtracks to all the original stuff. What I really like about Saga, or Romancing Saga 2's soundtrack is that I absolutely love the sound chip used for the game. Is it reminded me a lot of Final Fantasy IV's uh, Super Nintendo soundtrack. And I have to give major props to him, not only for his compositions, because it really are, there really are some nice uh, songs within this game, but I also just really enjoy that particular sound font because I thought Uematsu used it really well in Final Fantasy IV. And his team really made a lot of use of that uh, in the original Super Nintendo version of the game. And I, again, really like that with this remake that I've played, they kept that original soundtrack intact and didn't try and change it up or 
you know, modernize it with new synthesizers or anything like that. Uh, I really enjoyed hearing his work uh, from the rest of the series uh, since I fell in love with two soundtrack. And really, uh, Romancing Saga 2 was a game that, you know, this was the first Saga game that I played, not counting Legend of Legacy, since that was sort of a spiritual successor game when that series was in the dark. And uh, along with Saga Universe, uh, Romancing Saga 2 really helped me become a big fan of the Saga series as a whole. You know, playing the other games from this series has been really great, and uh, when we're recording this right now, tomorrow is going to be the release of Saga Frontier Remastered, which I'm looking forward to playing. And, you know, Actually, I really that thought... should be prepared like in an hour or two. We'll see what happens. <laughs> but oh, I'm man, really I better go on and buy that. <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to that, but I really got to owe, you know, owe that and, you know, finding out about this series and learning more about it and basically fall in love with the whole thing, thanks to Romancing Saga 2. And, you know, even though this game is probably not one that I would recommend to a ton of people, it would it's more so one of the games where I'd be like, you know, look up some gameplay, see what you think of it, and if it looks like it catches your eye, then you'll probably really enjoy it. This is one that Platy and I took a total chance on. I absolutely ended up loving the game, even though it frustrated me so many times at different points. But it was a very satisfying experience, and one that after I got done with it, you know, I was so excited that I finally, you know, I had that real feeling of excitement from beating it because it had been such. A oh struggle. yeah, you get, you sent me a bunch of messages like, oh my god, I think I'm going to be near the end of this. Like, you were messaging me a lot when you did finally do that. I was like, holy cow, you did it! Yeah, you did it. it. It, it was very, you know, it's one of those times where I beat a game and I felt like a very genuine feeling of excitement from it. Like, I can't believe, you know, I can't believe I beat it. It's so good. But I, you know, I really enjoyed that ending for the, you know, for as long as the struggle was too. you know, I had a very satisfying ending, some great last songs you get to hear in the game. And, you know, I don't know if I'm going to replay it. Uh, soon just because of other games that I want to get to but I would definitely love to replay this game at some point in the future with a fresh file and you know try different party formations or try different stuff and you know see if I can get stuff that I didn't see in the original game whether it's event or in my original playthrough whether it's new events or new skills or whatever have you it's definitely a game that's going to be a little hard to get into, but if you're looking to try a new RPG series and you see this game on sale, give it a go. Look up some gameplay first, see if it catches your eye, and if, hey, if you like what you see, give it a chance. I did, and I absolutely loved it. Well, Will Yangus, if you can't if if you can't get back into Romancing Saga two, don't forget there's always two others. So, Pendy, I hope you were taking notes. Oh yeah, I was going to say I have not played this game, but I took uh, extensive <laughs> notes. While you were talking, so I am now ready for my honeymoon. Thank okay. you so much. All right. Good to go. Remember, remember, some of those points will really help you out, if you know <laughs> what I mean. <laughs> remember, you just got to keep going until you glimmer. Yep. <laughs> got to get those glimmers, man. Uh, and don't worry. If you die, someone new will take your place. Oh. No. <laughs> you are oh. replaceable. <laughs> Everyone is. I, I, I do enjoy, though, in Romancing Saga, too, that if you're doing too well, the game will just go... All right, you're done with that emperor. Time for a new one. Oh yeah, there was definitely a generation or two. I felt like I was rocking it, and yeah, and then the game and then the game forces you onto a new person. <laughs> I remember I when I when uh, I was first playing the game, I messaged Platy at one point. And I'm like, when am I gonna go to another generation? I feel like I can't get anything done with my current guy. <laughs> And then eventually I must have finally kicked um, the horse hard enough or, or beat the, the dead horse hard enough because then it finally is like, here you go. <laughs> oh, that uh, with with me for Gerard, like out of the gate, I was destroying everything left and right because my light magic for some reason was just like 
overpowering everything. And um, the game just eventually just went, uh, yeah, we're going to give you someone real weak now. <laughs> I, I will say it is nice, though, that you know, even though when you take over a new emperor, they can be kind of weak, that the nice thing is, is that all of the strengths and abilities and everything that you learned from your previous emperor will go on to the new ones. So you will have to do a little bit of retraining. But at least you don't lose every single thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? For, for, for one single generation, you know, when the Switch happened, I went, oh, God, where's all my good equipment? And it gets placed into the armory. And if you don't go and yep. look there, you won't know it's there. Yeah. It is nice, though, that the game doesn't make you lose all that stuff, though. That yeah. Was, that's what I was really afraid of. It's like, oh, no, I lost that stuff when I changed over generations. But thankfully, like, even with the original release, you know, they were like, don't worry, we have this stuff saved for you. You just got to look in your castle. Yeah, yeah. Y y the gear from your previous emperor that's been sitting here for, looks at calendar, 200 years is still in the back for you to use. <laughs> All right, talking about somebody who uses his gear over and over and over again, um, let's get going with a little bit of Mario action here. Drifting. Yeah, so... So we talked about an Enix game in Actraiser, so next uh, I'm going to be talking about Super Mario RPG, which is one that I'm sure whenever you know somebody saw the title of this episode, I'm sure that they knew um, that this was going to be here. It was uh, actually released the same year, 1996, uh, in Japan and North America. North America was, I think, like three months later. Um, was developed by Square, published by Nintendo, and this is just like... It's a really fantastic, it's a quick, you know, well-paced RPG. I, I was looking uh, how long to beat has it at 17 hours to complete. Uh, well, beat the game. And then if you want to do some completion stuff, um, you know, you're looking at like 26 hours. It's just a really um, fantastic game. I think it's, I mean, it was made by, you know, the 90s Square. Uh, um, so it's kind of like in you know an old school dragon quest or an old school final fantasy and i think that's what they were going for um everybody knows the story of mario there is no story um so this one changes it up a little bit where in the beginning of the game you play as mario um and obviously it's turn-based battles but you're going to rescue um each from bowser and uh, a new villain comes in it's just a giant sword which is really weird uh, called Smithy, and he basically takes over Bowser's castle. No, 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 oh, no wait a minute, hold on. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's nope. not Ooh. Smithy. <laughs> What's that? That's not Smithy. Oh, no, okay, yeah, see, it's been a while. Anyways, a giant sword comes down, um, and so, you know, you're basically trying to get back to Bowser's castle to free it from this giant sword. What is the sword's name, just so I can, you know, remember? Oh, boy. If you hadn't asked me, I could have told you. Because Smithy <laughs> is the final boss, right? Yeah. Yeah, Smithy okay. is the final That's boss. That's what I was getting confused. Um, Hold on. Um, the so sword anyways, is it's Exor. Exor the sword. Yeah. Um, so the game is actually really linear. Um, and I think there's a lot, a lot of Mario aesthetics. Um, you have kind of... I want to say... The game's broken into towns and sections, but you, you're going from them like as you would on a, a world map in like Super Mario Bros. 3, where you're, you know, you're selecting individual places. You're not, um, you know, walking around in sort of an open world. Um, uh, eventually, you know, you do, you, everybody, the characters are really good. You, um, people talk about Mallow, who's a, a marshmallow kind of thing that thinks he's a tadpole, but you know, whatever. Uh, Gino, a lot of people talk about 
and they say they want in Smash, but yet they've never actually played Super Mario RPG. I can claim <laughs> to want Gino in Smash until after I finished it. I think it would be a really cool addition. That's, you know, off topic. Um, I mean, yeah, so it, it's... It, it ended up spawning the Paper Mario series, um, and I do prefer it more uh, than, you know, the newer Paper Marios like Thousand Year Door and stuff like that, just because there's more variation to battle. Um, it uses the sort of time-based uh, blocking and improving of your attacks. The only thing I didn't like was there's not really a lot of feedback there is. There's stars pop up when you do block um you know you can tell when your attack is more but i really felt like i didn't get a lot of feedback um when i perfect blocked or you know perfect attacked um but the game you know the battles are fun you know your standard turn base um you know your attack your physical attacks your magic item uh, and stuff like that the game it gets a little bit easy towards the end uh when you get you know mario bowser and peach in your team uh, because Mario is kind of your all-around. You actually can't take Mario out. He's kind of your all-around hero-type character. Bowser's more of your tank, your damage dealer, and Peach is your healer. But there's actually two items you can get. They're, they're the same item, uh, I believe called the Heavy Shell, um, which basically, if you stick it on Peach, she doesn't take really any damage, and she's just safe to just sit back, heal. And it's actually Mario's ultimate weapon, so you have him attack and Bowser attack and Peach heals and you're fine. So because of this, I felt like I was under leveled. Um, and when I got to the final boss, I actually had a pretty hard time because um, you go through a series of battles uh, right before you get to him. And, uh, you know, you really got to use your strategy with him, you know, using different types of magic and attacks and stuff like that. Um, I mean, I really, yeah, I really enjoyed the game. Um, it just feels like a comfort food, you know, 16-bit RPG, and the art style is hit or miss for me. Um, the game is in an isometric form, or an isometric view, and because it's a Mario game, of course it's going to be platforming. So, platforming in an isometric viewpoint doesn't really work when you need to really be precise, so that can get a little annoying, um, and, you know, and jumping on enemies to get, you know, a, a, an attack start or whatever, um... But yeah, it's just a really fantastic old school game. It's on the SNES Classic. That's where I played it. Um, I believe it's on the Wii U Virtual Console for all five of you listening that have one. Uh, I'm one of you. And I looked at a cartridge. I looked into getting a physical cartridge. Uh, it was like 100 bucks, So that was a little bit too much for me to, you know, replay it. If I do want to replay it, I would just play on... Um, the SNES Classic, but uh, yeah, I I mean I know like I said I know a lot of people were probably expecting to see this game come up when we were talking about these kind of games, so I'm sure you guys have some thoughts on it. Oh, this game this game is fantastic. Um, I'm I'm reading a little bit of background on it, and it's it's fascinating because apparently they made this game because of RPGs not selling that well outside of Japan. It was their attempt to uh, kind of see if they could get them a little more popular by attaching a huge star to it, like Mario. And Miyamoto was really involved uh, with the guidance of how the game went as well. And it actually sold very well uh, in North America. It's, it exceeded their expectations and was in the hundreds of thousands of units that the, they were able to sell. So that was that's pretty cool to see. I really loved this game at the time. Um, I, I loved playing as Bowser. That was like one of the big appeals to me. It's like, ooh, I get to play as Bowser. I get to play as a bad guy. That's awesome. Yeah, he was absolutely a staple in, in my party when I when I was playing it. Yeah, and um, 
Oh, I was going to say. Yeah, oh, that's the, the only complaint I have about this game because it's such a great game. The only complaint was just how short it was, which you mentioned before. Like, I just, it, it was like over in a flash compared to most standard RPGs that were like 30, 40 hours at the time. And it was just over too soon. I was like, no, I need more. I want more. But yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I think it's, I, I feel just for me, you know, I'm, I'm getting sick of even 40 hour RPGs. So when I saw that, you know, 17 hours to be like, you know, a Square Enix RPG, like, sign me up, dude. I, I was all for it. Yeah, this was one that I knew about it when I was a little kid because um, growing up, I was really big into Mario on that playing of the Nintendo 64 games. And I remember when I would go to the, uh, the video store that I would rent games from on weekends, I remember seeing this game on the shelf, but it was for the Super Nintendo, which we didn't have. But I always remembered this game, and it always had it in the back of my head because of that, um, because of the cover of the Super Nintendo version, or of the Super Nintendo game, excuse me. So, years later, I found out, uh, it was around Labor Day 2009, that Nintendo was going to release it onto uh, the virtual console for the Wii. And I kid you not, I played through that game three times in a row once it released. <laughs> <laughs> wow i was so excited to, to not only get like a brand new mario game to play but one that i had remembered seeing as a kid and was like oh my gosh you know i remember this i remember seeing this game and one of my friends in high school uh, who was a great ahead of me he had told me that he had played that game at, he had told me that at some point before it was released and said oh yeah this is a you know really good mario game you should come over to my house and check it out on my super nintendo never did but i ended up you know getting the virtual console <laughs> release he, I, I've seen his, his copy of it. I just never played it. I should clarify that. <laughs> but um, he did let me borrow his uh, old strategy guide for the game when it came out. And I, I would look at it just to like see the art or like if I was really stuck on something. But the game is pretty straightforward to get through. And, you know, when, when you're playing it back to back, you know, you remember stuff. But the cool thing is, is that with this game, like even when I replay it nowadays, I find out some new little tricks or something new that I didn't realize like, one of my favorite things is that whenever you do pull off a perfect, you know, button time press for an attack, like a regular attack, the animation will change so it's a little more elaborate or, like, there's a little, new little touches to it. Yeah. That's true. Like, yeah, like, Mario would punch two times, but if you time it perfectly, yeah, he, he hits that. Mm-hmm. Three times. That's, that's right. Uh, yeah, there's a ton of secret uh, weapons you can find. The one that I always hate trying to get is the masher hammer from Mario because you have to land the jump just right on the bomb or on the seesaw that a bomb is sitting on. And if you miss, you have to run all the way back up there to try again. <laughs> but this is a game that I really enjoyed replaying and still replaying it now because it, it has a lot of fun characters to it. And it's unfortunately a shame that uh, Square Enix is the ones that hold the rights to a lot of the characters like Gino and Malo and Smithy and all those guys. Because I think if they if Nintendo did have them, we might see them a bit more. We did get to see Gino in Super Mario, or no, excuse me. We got to see Gino in Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga on the Game Boy Advance. They had a little cameo because people who had been a part of Square Enix went on to, you know, form Alpha Dream that helped create the Mario RPG or the Mario and Luigi games. So that's why they were able to get Gino in. But unfortunately, they had to take him out from the uh, 3DS remake. Oh. But Gino is one of those characters that, you know, some people will sarcastically be like, oh, yeah, I want Gino in Smash. But he's a character that I, I do genuinely think would be a fun addition for Smash Brothers. And it'll be kind of a cool, you know, 
uh, nod to the Super Nintendo era, both for because like how with, with with them adding like Banjo and Kazooie, um, you know, for Smash Ultimate in the first round of DLC, you know, that was a big one for Nintendo 64 generation kids because you know that's the that's the system I grew up on. So seeing them in the game was like holy crap. So I would imagine that you know seeing Gino in there would be a holy crap moment for people who you know grew up with the Super Nintendo or played. You know, Super Mario RPG is one of their first experiences. You know, I think it'd be a fun addition. But getting back to the game itself, I really enjoyed replaying it, not only because of, like, you discover new things, but it's such an expressive and fun take on the Mario world. The isometric view is a little odd, I'll admit, but I did, I do end up, I do like it. And I really like, enjoy the music by Yoko Shimomura. You know, this is one of her first Mario soundtracks that she did, and it's a really good one. It, 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 really it good sounds one. sounds very nice on the system, and you even get some fun little nods to Final Fantasy in this game if you uh, do one of the little side quests. There's a little girl you can trade with in the Mole Town, and if you get the shiny stone from her and you take it to one of the last towns at the end of the game, uh, the town where all the monsters live at, you can actually open up a door that'll lead you to a bonus boss called Culex, who's basically a big old reference to Final Fantasy. He even has the Final Fantasy IV boss theme as his battle theme. <laughs> but I was um, going to attempt to do that. Um, I, I started the side quest where, yeah, I was trading the girl. And then uh, I was like, you know, I don't think I want to try for the super boss in my first playthrough. <laughs> it is it is a fun battle. It is difficult. But the thing is, I've done that one with, with and without the lazy shell, which is um, you know the ultimate weapon and, and armor that you can get. And the thing is, too, there are a lot of challenges you can do to get some really powerful gear. I've never been able to do this one myself, but one that's a really good item to get uh, for Mario is the Hero Scarf, which is if you can do 100 consecutive super jumps in a battle, you can then go to that monster town and you'll receive uh, the Hero Scarf, which basically gives Mario a big old stat boost and everything if you equip it to him. And then you have other charms that in the game it won't tell you like what exactly they do but you can get stuff like the quartz charm or the ghost charm that'll increase your speed by like 50 percent if you have the quartz charm it increases your defense and offense by 50 percent like it, it even though there are there are a few um, like accessory items you can get that may not specifically say what they do you can do a ton with them like they can really make some of the, your characters super strong especially if you power up characters like Gino or Bowser to just be like super killing machines with their regular attacks and this is probably the first game uh, that I played where they kind of tweaked the turn-based battle system where you know you had to t had those timed attacks first time that I had seen something like that and I always appreciate it like, there's nothing wrong with the traditional turn-based, you know, pick a menu, go, you go, you go. But I like it when companies like to attempt little tweaks on that and add a little bit of a flavor to it, like a timed attack, which you see in a lot of the Mario RPGs, or like Shadow Hearts, where you had the ring, where you had to time your attacks, or Legend mm -hmm. of Dragoon, where you got all those combo timed attacks that you do. So it's nice to see, so, you know, it gives, gives uh, more variety, more spice uh, among all the RPGs that you can play, when you can have little uh, tweaks like that to battle systems, so it's it's fun to fun to play. Yeah, yeah it keeps you involved too. You know, yes. where you're Absolutely. saying you know, yeah, you're just picking a menu, but you're actually actively doing something, and you need to pay attention to the battle. Makes it it makes you want to battle more. I yeah, mean, and it's still and it's still turn based. It's not like it's it's not like an action RPG, but it's, but it's still turn based. But it has that little bit more to it, which is nice. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that uh, I had recently been playing uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon, and one of the first things that I noticed with the combat was it's very much set up like 
Super Mario RPG, where you can push your uh, a, you can push your X button to do your normal attack. You can use the uh, triangle button, or in like Mario RPG's case, the X button that you would push to pull up your special abilities for your individual characters. And you even have button presses, so you can help like block out extra damage, or you can push it to you know increase the damage of your specials. Yep. So like. First thing I thought of when I was playing, it's like, oh, this is like Super Mario RPG. That's so <laughs> cool. And I really, that was one of the things that I really enjoyed about playing uh, Yakuza because, you know, again, it made you involved and it rem- reminded me of Super Mario RPG. And really for Super Mario RPG being one of those first, um, or being the first Mario RPG game to have those kind of button presses, like they did a very good job with execution on that. I mm. There's a few, there's like one attack that I think is a little wonky to get the timing on, and that's Malo's um, ultimate spell, which is the, the Starfall one, or, or it's the Meteor Fall one, whatever it's called, where he calls down a giant star to keep bouncing on the enemies. The timing on that one I think is a little weird, and I've never really been good at that one, but most everything else in the game, you can pretty much get it on your first try, and you're going to be like, oh, this is really cool. You know, it does a ton of damage. Now you guys are just making me want to replay this game now. <laughs> uh, well, you played it enough. Be, I'm going to be the wet blanket. I never made it past the first star because I always get bored with the game by then. Oh, Boorns, boorns. Here's the here's Ooh, the even worse part. Who invited this guy? Here's, here's the even worse part. I was given a Super Nintendo copy of the game for free. Oh. Can you send me oh. your copy then? <laughs> I was going to say, I know a guy that needs, another, needs a copy of it. It's me. We can talk about that. I call it first. <laughs> so, Brewery, and I had the same experience as you. Um, I want to say it was two years ago. Yeah, I don't think it was um, at the beginning of 2020, but it was like beginning of 2019. They were uh, getting a group together to uh, talk about it on RPG Backtrack, um, back before I hosted it. And Phil Willis was the host over at RP Gamer. Um, he was getting people together to talk about it because um, this is a podcast that I now co-host, but it was co-hosted for like 10 years um, by Phil and Mike. But it originally was started with um, a couple old time RP Gamer editors like 12 years back and their very first episode was on this game. So I think when it came time to do like episode 201, they were like, oh, they, they had something special planned for 200, but they were like, 201, definitely, let's go back and recover the game. And I loaded the game up, and yeah, I never got much more than about an hour or two, and it was like, nope, I'm just going to sit that episode out. It, it's not because uh, uh, I don't like the game. It's just I tried to play it too late. If I had played this around the time that I played Chrono Trigger, I'd probably hold the same reverence for it that a lot of people do. But I tried to play it in my late 20s. And I was I was in like a severe RPG slash video game burnout phase. So it just kind of bounced off me. Oh, yeah. I could see it where you'd then be like, no, I don't want to do that, man. And see, that's how I felt about Chrono Trigger, I think. I played Chrono Trigger in my um, late 20s, and <laughs> I tried Super Mario RPG in my early 40s. So yeah. I, I think I might actually give this one a go again, but we'll see. It, it is a fun time, and I will say that if like, if you do end up playing this one, whether you know, it's you guys or anyone who listens to us, uh, there are some uh, nice mods out there, too, that'll actually give you some extra challenges and things like that if you're looking for just a little bit more to the game systems and everything like that. Yeah. But, you know, Super Mario RPG, if, like, if you're really not super familiar with RPGs or 
if you're just looking for a bit of a different Mario experience, I would definitely recommend this one. Or if you're looking for another RPG experience from the series, uh, definitely check out Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. That's another good um, starting point for Mario RPGs. But yeah, obviously, I got a lot of love for Super Mario RPG, not only because I like Mario, but I mean, this was such a cool game to play back in high school like it was so interesting to see this side of mario you know this super nintendo game that i remembered but i never had the chance to play and i won't I, i'm gonna keep repeating myself if i keep going but i'm just gonna say it one more time that i really love this game and it's one of my favorite super nintendo games and, and see my my recommendation for one of the later ones would be bowser's inside story because i'm such a bowser nut <laughs> <laughs> But like in Bowser's Inside Story, you get to play like gigantic Bowser, and he get you know he has these like big, huge like mecha type fights, and you get in part of it's like going inside, literally inside Bowser, and trying to figure out what's wrong. So that's a that's a good one to start with too, I think. But I'm yeah. biased. I'm very biased on Bowser. No, biased. I've. <laughs> I've heard tons of great stuff about uh, Bowser's Inside Story, so it's, it's I, a good time. All right, so here's here's the fun funny part is I really enjoyed. Um, the one that came before it, or not the one that came before it, the one that came after it, the um, Luigi's Dream Team. Oh yeah, Dream, yeah, Mario and Luigi Dream Team. That's yeah, good too. that was good too. Yeah, they that one that, I like. They took a lot too. of those concepts that they started in Inside Story and, and ran with them in Dream Team. So it was good to see. Yeah, Dream Team was good, but I'll admit I actually really enjoyed. Um, oh God, what was it? Uh, Paper Jam a lot more than I thought I was going to. I had a hard time finding a copy of that game, but I finally did find one, and it actually made me laugh out loud quite a few times. I think they knew kind of tongue-in-cheek. It was kind of, oh, it's the same old Mario stuff, so let's just have fun with the script. <laughs> oh, nice. I haven't played that one yet, so that's cool. I, I would definitely recommend that one. I know we're kind of getting off topic here, and play is probably going to bring down the mute hammer any second, but... Yeah. <laughs> I, I would recommend Paper Jam if you're looking for another newer Mario RPG experience. It does have a little <clears throat> side quest or like side mini game heavy at some points, but it is really fun. All right. Well, since I was being, <laughs> since I was apparently threatening, um, I could feel it happening in the background. It's like he's gonna. I was do gonna it. say, you just feel, do you feel me on the back of your neck? <laughs> was it at the 20 minute point or the 30 minute point of that discussion that you started feeling that? <laughs> <laughs> I felt it calling in the end of night. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's all right. I let you guys go because, you know, that that is one of the bigger ones here. We've a uh, Chrono Trigger and that probably are the two most popular of the list that we've got going tonight. Um, although the last one I'm going to talk about here, um, it's still going today. It, it is a series. It started off. Geez, it started off as genre, actually. Um, and it started me. Um, good old pirate platy here. Um, on emulation. <laughs> as That's I why you here, like the Buccaneers. That's why. Oh, look at that. Now you're making connections all over the place. Oh my god, conspiracy. Let me shut my Super Nintendo themed Super or new 3DS XL as I am currently playing Dragon Quest Monsters 2 on it. Um, since that is not a Super Nintendo title, uh, the latest game I'm emulating on there and talk about my first game emulating. So, like I said, I never brought a Super Nintendo. I never had really much on the Super Nintendo at college. I literally had Madden and I had um, good old The Seventh Saga. So uh, I was tutoring some kid, uh, probably 11, 12 years old in math my senior year of college and just one day he's like hey man do you like super nintendo games and i was like yeah i've played like two or three 
<laughs> I said mainly I love a bunch of city building um, games on the PC. That's what I've been doing for the past couple of years. And he's like, oh, well, if you play on the PC, then you should uh, try to emulate some stuff. And I was like, I, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, don't you know about ROMs? And I'm like, I, CD-ROMs? Yes. As a matter of fact, I copy people's CD-ROMs and uh, play their games all the time. Um, and then he's like, no, no, no. And this is like 11-year-olds teaching me how to uh, become pir Pirate Pilate. And he mentioned it, and I was like, I've never heard of this thing. But the first game I download and play is Harvest Moon. The original Harvest Moon for the Super Nintendo. And my goodness, I played the heck out of that the second half of my senior year at college. Um, just, you know, it it has all the elements that you find in Harvest Moons today, you plant. And today people are still planting in those little three by three grids in Stardew Valley and lots of other farming games. Uh, you raise your chickens, you raise your cows. Uh, the, one of the big goals is you want to get married. So you got to, I think there's a blue feather you had to find um, eventually and bring to the person you were choosing to propose to. It had the relationship meters. So um, you could call this maybe <coughs> Persona Zero, you know, starting way back. <laughs> I was waiting. Oh, I saw, I saw Yegas disappeared for a second. I'm like, I better hold that joke off until he gets uh, back in the Skype call. So, but no, Harvest Moon, you could build up your friendship level um, with town folk. And if it was one of the people that you could choose to marry, then it was the relationship meter. But just, it, it was, to me, it was perfect because I had just been playing like Seventh Saga off and on for three years, but mainly just city building stuff. A lot of the Sierra games, um, Caesar, Caesar 2, um, Cleopatra, I, I think that was later, but Pharaoh. But I, I was just in the Sim City and all these ancient build your empire kind of games. And Harvest Moon wasn't like that at all, but it was kind of had those RPG mechanics that I remembered liking, but I was building something. I was building a farm. Uh, and it was just so relaxing. It was just so chill. Like, okay, you know, I'll water the plants today or I'll milk the cow today. And eh, if I forget to water the plants in the original game, it, they didn't die. They were fine. They just didn't grow. It took an extra day to grow. Whoop-de-doo. Um, and there was no hard time limit that you had to do all this in. You know, if you got married year three or in the fall of year one or whatever, it you were fine. It was great. Whatever. So, I mean, this playing this game the first time did get me into emulation and then back into RPGs because I then got back and noticed that there was Final Fantasy games that I'd missed. Gave, uh, I think, Final Fantasy VI was the next game I then emulated and then realized, wait a minute, what happened to those Dragon Warrior games that I used to like? And holy crap, I could play those. My God, they're, they're out there and people have fan translated them. And, you know... To this day, one of my three favorite series I say all the time is Rune Factory. I'm excited to see if that part five comes out this year as promised. But it, that goes back to my days with this original game, Harvest Moon, for the Super Nintendo. Um, I played it on the Game Boy version. I've played one or two other Harvest Moons in the series through the years. Kind of went away with it more when... I found out about Rune Factory and in their mid early 2000s, Rune Factory came out and I was more like, oh, I can do some combat and a lot more RPG stuff, alchemy and cooking 
and have the whole Harvest Moon experience as well. So I haven't played much more of the series, but I can definitely say the Super Nintendo version of this sparked an interest that, you know, kind of Dragon Warrior had and not much else. Like the, the like I could I could see like my favorite series. These are kind of the big two: the farming, simple, chill games, and our the hardcore RPGs. Anybody else play any Harvest Moons? Go back to the beginning. So not Harvest Moon. I mean, well, I've tried. And little pirate drippy over here. I also uh, emulated um, the original Harvest Moon on um, Super Nintendo just to see if I could actually do it. Um, mm-hmm. But ever since I spent. God knows how many hours in uh, Stardew Valley. I haven't been able to go back to a farming sim, but I feel like the one, you know, a harvest, the Harvest Moon for a Super Nintendo would be the easiest one kind of to get into because I feel like it would be like the most basic of the formula. Is oh, that yeah. kind of what you think it is? Oh, it is definitely. Yeah, I mean that it, it started the whole genre. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Graveyard Keeper. That was another one that I've really enjoyed in the past year. Yeah, Littlewood is the one that I've been playing recently, and uh, it's less Stardew Valley, more whatever, you know, Dark Cloud and stuff like that. I'm not here to talk about that, but yeah, it's been really hard for me to try to... I, I tried Rune Factory 4 on the uh, 3DS, never got into it, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I would love to give uh, the original Harvest Moon a go one of these days. I feel like I would really enjoy it. So does, uh, does Farmville on uh, early Facebook... Does that count? <laughs> Absolutely, it does. Awesome. I, so I, guess... I, I sunk a oh, lot of God, time into that, man. <laughs> Farmville. I remember playing that when listening to stuff like um, uh, Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a weird combination. I don't know why the hell I did it. <laughs> the oh, only that's... farm simulator I played was uh, Rune Factory, and that is recently. Because if you remember, Platy, I was bugging you for a while about, hey, I, I, for some reason, I really want to play Farming Sims. <laughs> and you said Rune Factory 4. <laughs> and I bought it and played it for about 20 hours and then put it down. Yeah, I mean, you got to... You got to really be into it to keep going because a lot of these go for a long time. Yeah. And you got to at some point realize, too, that are you going to do everything and play for 100 hours or do you not really care about the fishing? And because Rune Factory 4, man, you could spend so many days just battling and so many days just fishing and so many days working on relationship things. And you're like, okay, what do I want to focus on? So you bring things that you could just set aside. So you had unlimited time to do that kind of stuff. You didn't have to worry about, oh, you have to have this done within the first year or something like that, did you? Not in the original, no. It was just, just go. Go do it. But that, that's the case in Rune Factory 4, though, and like those other ones? You just gotta oh, no. take your time? Yeah, you can take your time. Yeah, yeah. I thought you asked if there was a time limit. No, most of those, um, what, Stardew Valley, you're supposed to fix things up in, what, three years or two years? Hmm. Yeah, it's three years. You get... Basically like, graded at the end of yeah. uh, your third year. Maybe it is the second year, actually, after two years. And the thing that you get is basically you get good job and you get a statue that gives you some resources every day. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, but it's yeah, not a, I mean, you don't have if you to. Don't do it. Yeah, you don't have to, you know, finish everything. And um, I mean, that's kind of the hard thing. Where if I were to play this Harvest Moon, I wish it was on like the uh, Nintendo Switch Online app because I feel like these games are so um, 
they can they can be uh, pick up and play, and if you drop it for you know maybe even a week, you kind of forget what you were working on, you kind of forget the goals that you had, and it's like, well, at that point, I might as well just start over. Um, so I feel like it would be harder for me, you know, having to sit down at a TV for hours on end, you know, and and really get back to my get back to playing it um, regularly. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, these these are games that I will play for a month or two straight and then i'm done and i really can't go back to it because yeah I'm i've just started lost started, all the things, started like, a few times but never got anywhere as far as i did you know in my farthest playthrough mm-hmm. it's trying to see which one that i'm looking forward to there's one coming up called sunhaven that i've got my eye on because it has combat that and and to me that that is where i've gone um even just that little bit of combat that's in uh, Stardew Valley. I really, really enjoyed. Yeah, Even though it was something else like to focus spent... on other than just mm-hmm. the crops. Yep. I mean, I mean, I probably spent five percent or less of my total time in that game doing that, but yep. it was there. Yep. So, have we uh, milked this episode for all that it's worth? Mm. I think so. I, yeah. I mean, I could give you some more romancing tips if you want, but I don't know if we should. Could get a little past the PG-13 race. (laughs) I mean, that's what Harvest Moon's about. Half of it's about romancing. (laughs) All right, well, here's what you got to do. You got (laughs) to... Well, I guess I got more homework more homework to do now before I get married. It pulled, pull that pencil back out. I only got a couple more weeks, so... Like, right... Harvest Moon, here we go. This is I what I would tell. Take care of so. <laughs> this is what I would tell Sunny. Like when I start talking, just put a long beep for a, for a few seconds. <laughs> Anyone want to throw out a thirty second uh, honorable mention? Player found. That was another one that, 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 was, that was another one that I bounced off of, but it was in that same time frame as Super Mario RPG. Earthbound will have its time. Don't you worry. Oh, yes. And that's another one I bounced off of trying to play it for the same <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I know. Thought for I sure. I got a lot get... farther in that one, though, than Super Mario RPG. So. You did. You did get pretty did, far. Yeah. I was in the double digits of hours. 16, 17. It's not, um, it's not an RPG, but apparently the NHL games are really great. Uh, I'd love to get into some of those. A lot of people talk about NHL 94. Uh, I know probably not a lot of sports game fans listen to this, but I have 95 that I'm looking forward to playing. Just haven't popped it in yet. Wait, did you say NHL or NFL? Uh, NHL. National, oh, no, no, uh, yeah. Hockey. No, NHL 95 was yeah. like the best hockey game on that system. <laughs> I played that so much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to playing it. I mean, yeah, I, I know it's not an RPG, but just talking about general oh, SNES okay. games. You know. I've got, I've got an, uh, another Square Enix uh, strategy RPG, 30 seconds, Front Mission. You should go play it. Do you oh. like mechs? Do you like tactical uh, strategy games? Um, this is for you. You control mechs. You move them around the field. You fight other mechs. Uh, you have uh, finite weapons that you can use. Um, you have destructible parts on your mechs. So you, you can destroy arms. You can destroy legs. If you destroy their legs, they can't move more than one square at any given time. If you destroy their arms, they can't use weapons that are equipped to those arms. So it's a, lot cool, of, actually. It's, it's I, a lot of fun. Oh, I love the first series. One, yeah, the first one never got released over here on the Super nope. Nintendo, but they later re- re- they later brought it over on the DS. I played that's that. The, yeah, that's the only way to play the first one. We didn't. We never got the second one. The third one came to the PlayStation One. We got yep. the fourth one on the PS2. We never got PlayStation. Or we never got the PS2 of 
Front Mission 5. But so there is a translation gonna, patch out there for it. There is. But yes. So we're never going to get an officially finished story for the Huffman Island incident that takes place from uh, Front Mission 1 through 5. Uh, it's such a, yeah, it's such, they, they continue that story and they go so in-depth to it. I love that series. I played 3 and 4 back in the PlayStation era. And I, I played the remake the ds remake of one Dude, i love i love those I games love so good. front mission one so much and the cool thing about it is like corner trigger when they brought up port of the ds they added they added like a kind of alternate story thing from from the main antagonist from his side so yeah great game i you know what you can you can even play the game on the super nintendo all of the menus of that game are english except oh. for the actual character dialogue <laughs> So, like, at the beginning of the game, when you get kind of like that Star Wars text scroll of the story, that's all in English. Oh, wow. But then when the characters talk, um, uh, Japanese. But then when you're in menus, uh, equipping your mechs and and doing all that stuff, everything's in English. Nice. Yeah, if you like strategy, turn-based strategy RPGs, that's a very good series to get into. I, I highly recommend it as well. And the music for that game is fantastic. Mm hmm and that's it for me. <laughs> well, I, I think the person telling us to shut up tonight is not me. Um, yeah, it looks like you uh, check out, we got, got a downer. Yep, uh, I think Young Gas, was that the uh, way to pronounce it? You know, Who's youngest? Wait, 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 no, no, wait. There's, there's a Youngest I, Among Us? I, there may be a Youngest I, Among Us. I banned Young Gas. How did he get back? <laughs> I do not know. I am somehow here. Oh, whoa, whoa! Who is that? You guys hear that? Oh boy! I heard nothing. If we're God. if we're going back in time, you know, fourteen days. <laughs> someone get someone call. I, I think it's time to go to bed. It's getting about yeah, that, it's, huh? it's time for bed. <laughs> All right, everybody. That's it for this episode of Slime Time Side Quest. We do want to thank Brian. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, glad to be here. And thanks for coming up with Lufia on the spot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank Front you, Drippy. Yeah, oh, thank you again for having me. Always appreciate being here. Of course. We'll have to get back to you soon for uh, a mother of all episodes. Looking forward to it. Uh, thank you, soon to be wed, Pendy. Always a pleasure. It was, it's a it's a great always a great time to be here. And now I'm I'm all I'm good to go. I got some good hot tips. Hot <laughs> tips for my upcoming nuptials. Hot tips. Hot tips. Got those hot romance and tips, man. But yeah, thank you for being on tonight, guys. We certainly had a lot to talk about. We did some time traveling. We got some romancing tips. And we even (laughs) uh, did a little harvesting. And, as we have learned, this episode is brought to you by Front Mission. Play it. (laughs) Play it now. Do just, it. Uh, just make don't play Bar- that. Make Barurian happy and go play it, damn it. Just don't play that PlayStation 3 Front Mission game, Front Mission Evolved. It's awful. Oh, you know what? You should tell people, Barurian, to play that one game that came out from Square Enix not that long ago where it's set in the Front Mission universe, but it plays nothing like one of those games. Oh, oh. you mean Left Alive? That's, yes. Um, <laughs> I don't have enough time in a day to go over why everything is terrible about that game. Caution, <laughs> the enemy is approaching. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, thank you guys. Seriously though, thank you for being on and talking about all your games tonight. So w- it was good yeah. talking with everybody about all these different SNES RPGs and Super yeah. Nintendo RPGs, whichever your preferred pronunciation is. Nessers. Sneezers. <laughs> well, however way you uh, pronounce Patreon or Patreon or you know whatever, you notice we only say it one time an episode. 
and we say it to say we don't ever use it. We're just a bunch of longtime fans that want to speak about the topics we know and love so much. Um, if you happen to like this episode or us quite a bit and you got some money that you'd like to donate, burning a hole in your pocket, tax refund, stimulus one, stimulus two, stimulus three, whatever, consider sliding on over to the Dragon's Den at www.wudis.com slash den. Click on support this site. Wudis has owned and maintained the Dragon's Den fan site for over 20 years now, and I'm sure he'd appreciate any donation. Or you can use his Amazon affiliate link to make any purchases, especially um, what are one of the 17 billion ports of uh, Dragon Quest uh, 11S, um, or pretty much anything else Dragon Quest related. He's got some affiliate links to it. Doesn't cost you a thing, and a small fraction of the sale will go to support the den. If you have any suggestions for a future side quest episode, Platy and I would be happy to hear from you. Uh, you can reach out to either one of us on the Dragon's Den itself, or you can contact us via the Dragon's Den Discord, which you will be able to find links to on the Dragon's Den or through some other, at least available on other places too. Uh, you can also reach out to... <laughs> <laughs> Don't reach out to him! Don't reach out to him show has gone off the rails. That's when we need the sensor sound, Platy. Um... <laughs> Um, you can reach out to Platy on Twitter via his handle PlattyM3, or and uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, you can contact Platy via his Twitter at PlattyM3 and let him know about any suggestions on there too. We have a list full of ideas, so please let us know if you have any suggestions for a future episode. I- I'm impressed you got through that. Good Young job. Young gas strikes again. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's not here. It's just... <laughs> oh, and on that note, bye everyone. <laughs> Have a good night. Super side quest part two complete. Look forward to Snuffleupagus adventures. <laughs> this time is personal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>